0: following podcast is work safe. <laughs>
1: And welcome to the 73rd episode of We Talk Games. We Talk Games! The video power magazine of the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, and now, of course, 112s. I am your host, Wiggly. In the booth, Keith Laposh. Yo. Very good. Now, listeners, ever since we established in 2006, we've tried to not put a time stamp on our episodes. So let me just say this. Happy 2012 One Day Removed, everyone. Here we are, Season 3, One Episode Removed. 2012 One Day Removed. And T.T. Schmutkin's One Stinky the Game Master Removed. Uh, silent night, uh, silent day. Stinky and T.T. are not in the studio today. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Poetry! My friends, if you can make a living doing poetry, well, then we can put a man on the moon. We have a very special episode today. We always have a special episode. It's stacked! We have a very special episode today. A much more intimate episode, if you will. The three fellas that are on the coffee cup, Calvin Kubik, Johnny Capcom, and yours truly, Wiggly Kokomo Jr., will be talking about what they've been playing lately, and a very special guest, the founder of Argonaut Software, the main driving force behind the Super FX chip, Hey, Je- don't forget Catwoman! Stink! Thought you and TT were going to be at a studio today.
0: Well, we had to stop by and give you the results to the 2011 Twitter Wiki Video Game
1: Award results. Ah, yeah. Well, that's that's acceptable, I guess. Standing to my right, TT Schmutkins.
2: I am really looking forward to being on the entire show today.
1: And taking his position on the illegal milk crate with the pizza box on top of it. Stinky the Game Master, Stinky.
0: Oh boy, I can't wait to give you these results.
1: All right, we'll get right to that, but before I forget, Jez San is going to be our special guest on We Talk Games today. Can't wait to get him on the line and go. But right now, I'll turn it over to our Master of Ceremonies. Can't believe I'm saying that. Stinky the Game Master, T.T. Schmoot let go!
0: All right. And the first category is Best Video Game to Cash In on Nostalgia in 2011. And the nominees are T.T.,
2: Sonic Generations, nominated by RoboDuke. Star Fox 64 3D, nominated by Ouch Films. NBA Jam, nominated by Dr. Zero, Zero Zilla. <laughs> the Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time 3D, nominated by Kyle Von Kubik. <laughs> hey,
0: what are you laughing about? And the winner is... King for the GameCube.
1: Ugh, I can see where this is going.
0: Alright, the next category. Most unlikable video game protagonist in 2011. And the nominees, T.T. We shall see.
2: Cole Phelps, L.A. Noir, nominated by Johnny Capcom. Batman, Arkham City, nominated (laughs) by the Great Power KD, Resident Troll. You
1: mean Batman.
2: Adam Jensen, Deus Ex. Human Revolution, nominated by Robo Duke. Duke Nukem, Duke Nukem, nominated by Ouch Films.
0: All right. And the winner is... Mother-in-law from Boonga Boonga, also known as Spankum in the States.
1: All right, and kill that. Uh, how many more? Why, don't you mind your own
0: business. Two more, two more. Next category Best Use of Zombies or Space Marines in a Video Game for 2011. The nominees DT
2: Bulletstorm, nominated by Alex Williams. Aliens, Infestation, nominated by Keith H. Dead Space 2, nominated by Ken Dudley. Saints Rose II. Nominated by John F. N. Seiler.
1: Okay, and the winner is... Are you going to try to do one from the nominations or what's going to happen here, Stink? Why don't you mind your own business? We have a stacked show, Stink! The winner is...
0: Super PP Brothers for the Wii.
1: Uh... We shall see. How many more, Stink?
0: Can't subtract one from one. yoi here it comes. The big one. The big deal.
1: We shall see.
0: All right. The big, big deal. Video game of the year 2011. And we got so many entries for this. We just uh, picked the top three. Well, most people, most of them are duplicates. And we named the people that are constantly uh, featured responding to our Twitter. We talk games at twitter.com. Go there. Here we go video game of the year 2011 TT
2: and the nominees are portal 2 nominated by Dr. Zero, Zero Zilla <laughs> Batman Zilla. Arkham City nominated by Mikey Rizari. Elder Scrolls V Skyrim <laughs> nominated by Robo Duke and Ken Dudley I'm having my baby now <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, it really is!
2: Holy poop! <laughs> Yikes! 1001100110 0, 0, 11, 11, 0, 0, 100 ouch! It's your baby! Oh, our baby is birthed.
0: It's a beautiful
3: baby uh, What a joyous occasion! Hello, my name is Stink TTO. I must now begin my mystical quest to become the ultimate video game master by traveling afar to Mount Kilimanjaro in the Himalayan mountains for guidance and kinetic reflexes from the Peruvian high master monks of Ooz Becky 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 Stan Goodbye! Wait, you're leaving already!
1: And wait a minute, we didn't even find out what the video game of 2011 was! Oh
3: right, that was
2: Michael Jordan. Shut Up and Jammin', Scotty Pippins' Windy Slam City, Charles Barkley,
3: Shaq-Fu, Shaq-Shaq-Shaq-Fu, F- 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 Bill and Beer Combat Basketball Bouncers, Yeah,
2: baby!
1: Uh-huh. What system was that for? The JVCXI. Goodbye.
2: Wait, our baby. I'll walk you to the bus station.
1: I better go, too! Alright, guys, uh, take care. Thought she was gonna pull the Beyoncé on that one. I she, guess she really was, uh, with child there. Whew, what a joyous occasion. This one day removed from the first day of 2012, and one episode removed from the beginning of our third season of We Talk Games, and we got a stacked show. So stacked we gotta get started. In fact, let's not start, let's go.
2: Don't
1: you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part, because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot. Alright, we actually have a uh, downloadable gaming at home today and then we're going to have Kyle Von Cubic up real soon and then just saying. So stay tuned, stick around for that. Keep the digits flowing. Don't touch that touchable thing. All right, New system updates for both the PS3 and the Xbox 360. PS3 updated their cross-browser. It looks just like the old cross-browser except now with 90% more reading. You boot up. You have to say, okay, it backed up, backed up to the cloud. I agree to the cloud. Put my game saves on the cloud. Hey, the cloud. It's so great. I'm so modern. It's a, it's a console that's sitting in your living room, but yet you got to save it to the cloud in case you get a new living room. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. If I wanted to read, I'd play Compton's Encyclopedia for my CDI. Sad news also on the PS3. The PC Engine is no longer a developer category, either to their acquisition, the acquisition of Hudson Soft by Capcom, or poor sales. I'm not really sure there. So that means no Devil's Crash on the PS3 or any of those great Super CD titles that the Wii was privy to. So now there is a reason to turn your Wii back on, although it's not for... downloading too much i don't have any downloadable uh, arcade at homes for the wii this time but the worst part about the uh, ps3 store gimmick is that if you search for hudson if you search for pc engine if you search for tg-16 turbo graphics nothing related to that whatsoever will be returned to you in your search although those games are there but remember these are like the first run games you know alien crush bonk one victory run and like that so turn on the wii they uh that that is still the best console emulation going i think imho i guess except for the new dreamcast and uh, sega cd stuff that's coming out on the other systems that's pretty awesome you will also notice uh that the music service gimmick is right on there the query the curiosity, the curiosity with a Q and we spell everything with a Q now. Q is the new X for asses. All it did was make me depressed and angry because a search for Trapdoor returned a new trapdoor they have never even heard of before and out of their fifteen million songs, nothing by Wiggly, nothing by Wiggly of Trapdoor, nothing by Trapdoor came up and now i have to try to see if i could scrape some pennies together for a lawyer which i'm never going to do and eh, that's enough of that blood rain betrayal came out this is a return of the blood rain series Uh, we haven't seen that franchise for a while blood rain betrayal came out for both the xbox 360 and the ps3 and the game is brought to us by majesco and surprisingly instead of a third person type of hack and slasher This is now an action platformer side-scrolling game. And it's a very moody, very dark, atmospheric type of Castlevania game, right down to the soundtrack, with the annoyance of an early Mega Man game. Is it too much to ask to be able to bend your freaking knees? Now, the knees do bend, but it's not by a button. You just have to be hitting this certain combo, and all of a sudden your knees bend. And I'd gladly fork over 15 bucks if she could just crouch. The graphics are great, about the same amount of variety of enemies of a Castlevania, and the tempo of the game is really nice. Just like a Castlevania, it's challenging not to die. The controls are okay, and they're probably the one thing that keeps us from being an extension of the Castlevania franchise, like a Castlevania side story or something with Blood Rain as the main character. Is that her name, Blood Rain? I think it's just Rain, or Katrina and the Rains. Not being able to duck out of the way of a leaping frog or a gunshot is frustrating. I guess the developers thought that you should jump over or dash slide under a bullet. But the timing for hitting the correct attack animation to get under it just didn't feel right to me. It doesn't work. Fix that and it probably would be one of my favorite new games. Another franchise to return. Big, big deal here for lovers of original arcade games. And you're downloading Arcade at Home Experience both the PS3 and the Xbox 360 saw the release of Burger Time World Tour. The game is in 3D, but I gave it a chance. Uh, first thing that you might notice is that it looks like it was not developed for the PS3 or the Xbox 360. This is iPod Gen 1 3D at best. I'm not sure where this version of the chef is from, but he more resembles Waluigi. The demo levels are on a city street, and the unique difference from the original is that the play field is more of a horizontal. It also arcs towards you as if the buildings were on the outside of a cylinder. And the original game was difficult. Uh, go back and play it and see how far you get. It's a rough game, because you, you can't, you, they give you no slack on those ladders. But this title not only has the same tough mechanics of limited peppers, one hit deaths, uh, we call them one-hit wonders, and being able to be killed off on the ladders. But because the 3D graphics are so bad, and all the colors just so bright, it's difficult at times just to be able to see what's going on. Is that a fire escape or a pickle? I don't know. I can't tell. Well, I died. It's a pickle. I think for this title, I would not have minded the 3D treatment. It works for adapting this franchise from a vertical layout to a horizontal one. But it falls flat because of the N64 quality polygons. They would have beefed it up a bit, made it look like it actually came out in the past two years, put some graphic polish on it, they would have had a winner. And speaking about downloadable arcade at home, uh, more like downloadable console at home, don't forget to pick up Realistic Summer Sports Simulator today. I was fortunate enough to once again do a voiceover for a Kurt Gartner video game commercial. Originally worked with him on Card Hunter, and now I'm the voice for Justin Smith's new game, Realistic Summer Sports Simulator, for your iOS. Uh, This is a cat that did Enviro Bear 2010. Hilarious stuff in El Dorado. Really funny, great stuff. And this is straight out of the Atari 2600 age of video gaming. Lots of great memories from them, but with rubber band physics and just complete insanity. Everything you'd expect from a Justin Smith game. So very fortunate to work with him. Go to wiggliesworld.com, and you will see, about halfway down the page, you'll see a link to that, and you can watch it right online there. I, I really appreciate it. If you go to Wiggly'sWorld.com. Don't forget to stop by Wiggly's Mini Mall. It's just like a flea market, except without the fleas. And our prices are right there with the prices of Amazon. Very comparable. I mean, we strive. You you would almost say that it is an Amazon store, uh, because you'll probably be billed by Amazon if you purchase anything from there. And then I got pennies, and I enjoy pennies, and I count them up. All right, Keith, let's open it up. Let's get Kyle Von Kubik on the line. Very special announcements. Announcements! South Beach, New York. <laughs> Sound Beach. Are you on a beach, Kyle? Sure. Like, sure. Yeah, what kind of beach is it now? Do you have like an umbrella? Uh, Yeah. Now, then, is it really a beach? Is there sand? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, what, and now, can you is, swim in is, it?
3: My house is 10 minutes away from the beach. Not you even. Can, you can swim? I can walk to it. I can swim in it. Okay. It's really sandy, though. I prefer to swim in the water that's Uh, adjacent to it.
1: Oh, well, to each their own. To each their own, pal. Hey, it's great to hear from you again on uh, the beginning of our third season. We'll see how how I I feel. feel. One episode in. Soon. One episode removed. Hey, the last episode was pretty great, huh? That was nice. Pretty great. Yeah.
3: On a scale from one to great, I'd give it a great. I would
1: give it a, a great as well. Yeah, well, I'm just bringing you on here real quick. Then we're going to get to Jez Sand. because oh, is, I, is that the guest for today? I cannot wait. The it guy is our guest, Star Fox. He helped with that. In other had, words, he
3: was making 3D happen on the original Game Boy. Is that true?
1: He made that happen there. He made it happen way back on the the, the you know Vic Twenty and the things like that. There's a trailblazer for you. He was. We'll talk all about that. I'm sure. I hope. I'm excited to hear it me too I can't wait to, to talk to the fellow but there's something even more important something we do each year and uh, this this uh, year is going to be really something
3: oh uh, yes this year is is um, probably the biggest one we've done of the three
1: and we're talking about co-op for kids
3: yeah the charity auction we do every year
1: and the only reason we haven't done it on this episode is because there's still some original projects that are being worked on to be sent in. But man, oh man, you know, we talk about pinball and I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Oh, don't. Yeah. You want to lead in with that? No, I don't don't want to bury the
3: lead. Let's get right into it.
1: I I don't, I don't want to really even go into it much, but let's just say, that there's some elements to this co-op for kids that deals with, uh, gaming related things
3: that, aren't even released yet yeah that, uh, opportunities you you might want to say an opportunity to maybe uh, have your name in a game or be oh, that's right conceptualized into a game this is you we're talking about video gaming
1: prehistory
3: right <laughs> yes. yeah we reached out to some uh, very artistic people we've reached out to some former guests and uh, we have some great things lined up
1: uh, let's just say that uh, we'll, we'll let you know next
3: episode. Sounds good. Uh, A little bit of a a teaser. It's a teaser. I mean, drop some hints at least. We're we're
1: not going to have any, you know, Billy Mitchell, we talk games, crossover hot sauce this year. No,
3: not this year. I'm sorry to disappoint everybody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's all
1: right. And and, that, and Stinky was going to even send fried chicken through the mail with, with each bottle.
3: Well, let but, me tell you, if you were impressed by that, yeah. your socks are about to be knocked off. They, this is... Uh, one-of-a-kind things. Man. Really. Let me I tell mean, you. Most of these items are one-of-a-kind things or opportunities that um, you're not going to find anywhere else.
1: It is great.
3: All right, pal, Well, listen. Oh, oh, and real quick, of course, uh, as always, 100 percent of uh, the, the money goes directly to charity, right? Yeah. Uh, via eBay goes right to the Children's Miracle Network. Yeah, we don't see a dime. It.
1: Well, the only thing we see is where we need to ship the stuff, and all exactly. the all the loops and, go right. And into what's the nice about mirror. that, it,
3: it means that we get to bid on these items. <laughs>
1: but don't you, worry, there will be not. a bidding war between Kyle and myself for some of these items, yes. but you can still win.
3: You can just have to have deeper pockets than us, which is not really that high of a bar to and, ascend to. That's true, but it's all legit. It's not like uh, you
1: know we're trying to puff up the uh, our products. We we really want some you of can't these. Can't
3: even do that with the way that this is set up because there's no game playing. It is set up so 100 percent of the money goes directly to charity. We don't ever see it exactly. And if you don't pay, they just take it out from your credit card <laughs> they so, will garnish your wages They <laughs> pretty much just take it away so uh, yeah the, it's, it's all legit as always and it's a great thing we love to do uh, uh, for a great cause and these are some great items there's a I, lot of greatness happening
1: I cannot wait I can't wait to to, to, to even be able to talk about this stuff
3: Stacked.
1: So, all right, man. Yeah, speaking of stacked, we've got a stacked show today. It's it's going to be quite special, I think. And uh, I'm going to get Jez Sand on the line. So, listen, uh, stick around. Try to get in touch with Johnny Capcom, and then we'll, uh, we'll get back to everybody and uh, talk about what we've been playing lately and some gaming memories. And uh, that's coming up next. Stay tuned. roll. Kyle Von Kubik. I can't, I can't, boy, I know what some of these things are. And they're really amazing. I cannot wait till next episode to hit you with our co-op for kids items. All right, Keith, Jez San, let's open it up. London, England. Come in, Jez San. Welcome to We Talk Games. Hello there. Hey, it's great to have you, uh, all the way from London. You're only the second person that we've had from the UK, the first, of course, being the Father Gill Brothers, and I think that you're uh, acquainted with the Brothers Father Gill.
4: That's right, yes. I yeah. used to work at Argonauts, which Very was my good. old baby. Yes, well, we'll get
1: into Argonaut. we'll get into all those uh, good things that you've been involved with and what you're doing now as well. Uh, but first, let's just get this out of the way. Good things come from 1966. Uh-huh. really yes we're both uh both 1966ers
4: wow which month are you january okay you're older
1: wow yeah yeah, i'm a little older <laughs> uh, let's not start off on rocky grounds okay uh i don't know where to begin we'll jump around a little bit here i think you have to jump around because you've been involved in a lot of games that well definitely that i grew up on you have a lot of technologies that are entangled across the uh, the years, they span the years. I read your wiki, and of course, everyone knows, Wikipedia is probably the most exact way to find out everything you need to know uh, without any type of embellishments whatsoever.
4: My wiki's not very good, because oh, I didn't not. write it, obviously. Okay. And, uh, and my wiki's written usually by people that have a, grunt, a grudge against me. <laughs> and um, so there's several unflattering things in my wiki. I see. Which... If, if I was a bit more vain, which one day I might get around to, uh, I will remove. <laughs>
1: yeah, everything that's been written about me in Wikipedia has been removed by Wikipedia themselves, uh, mostly because they say that they don't – it doesn't cite sources, although my entire life has been available on the Internet uh, for the past uh, at least uh, seven years.
4: So uh, well, The thing is, it's supposed to be a democratic um, encyclopedia. Uh, I feel I should have the ability to modify my own entry, but um, <laughs> how negative it is, so it obviously wasn't written by me. Okay.
1: Well, is it true that you started uh, doing BASIC on the TRS-80? Uh, yes, that's true. In 77, okay. I got my TRS-80. Wow, fantastic. Now, uh, that was, of course, Tandy. Uh, yes. Real radio-, radio Shack. Yeah, Radio Shack. Exactly. Uh, now, what uh, did you have Radio Shacks in the UK? No, we had Tandy, but it is, oh. you
4: know, it's the same company. I see. Now, did you buy any realistic stereos from uh, Tandy? Luckily not, no. <laughs> uh, although I, I probably did have a CD radio or something from them. But um, and, and I had my, even before my um, TRS-80, I had an electronics kit when I was very young from sure. Tandy.
1: Yeah, me too, of course. With those
4: little spring terminals and the wires and all that stuff. I think I... I made my first electronics project with that like when I was like ten years old or something. So it was it was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, you could build the AM radios and uh yeah. and all that. I used
4: to like building that electric shock thing and then letting <laughs> my friends play with that. And Even I remember loved that.
1: They had a they had a fake lie detector. You would just be gimmicking it. You would be the one that would set it off if you wanted to pretend that your friend was telling a lie. I remember that. <laughs> But, uh, you know, yeah. I just thought of it. Uh, realistic brand. Now, I, I, you uh, poo-pooed on it, but I remember a lot of audiophiles sort of liked it back in the day. and then they Really? La- yeah, they, ah. they later became optimists. Yeah, but but
4: I'm, from, I'm from England. We, we have proper real audiophile <laughs> stuff in England. That's true. We invented audiophile. <laughs> that, uh, realistic really, is, is not audiophile compared to, you know, what we, we grew up with. When I first started my first band,
1: I remember we used uh, my buddy's realistic stereo as our PA system, and I was singing into this uh, rectangular, giant, stereo, realistic microphone, and it sounded like pup, Uh, so you were right there. (laughs) But they also came out with a Mini Moog, which I owned the realistic brand of Mini Moog uh, later on in in the band years there.
4: (laughs) When I first saw a a, a Moog, I never actually knew what it was, because I I came from the computer side. I I wasn't really into the music side so i had no idea what a synthesizer was until it was too late and it had all been and gone you know kind of
1: <laughs> gotcha so you you began uh, programming on a trs-80 no love for texas instruments i guess
4: the ti-994a or whatever no um it wasn't into that so I and mean, airing between the trs-80 and the oregon scientific okay um which which had color, I think, at the time when the, when the TRS-80 had monochrome. But the TRS-80 kind of, I don't know, it just did it for me, so I, I went for that one. And there were some other ones. There was a British one called the NASCOM 1, which looked very geeky. There were obviously the Altair and all that kind of stuff, but they were just far too geeky. So I think the TRS-80 was the right one for me at the time.
1: What type of things did you program on there?
4: My first programs were kind of utilities. So i had I had one that I won an award for, which was to make my printer do handwriting back in the days when dot matrix printers did really blocky script. Sure, I wrote a printer driver that anything you printed, it intercepted it and turned it into my handwriting actually, my friend's handwriting because it was much better than my handwriting. Wow, um, that won me an award, a programming award, back then when I was like 12 years old or something. Uh, so that was uh, that was you know in the early 70s, late 70s, right? Um, that was my first thing. And then a friend and I started writing games on the TRS-80, but I never actually completed any games. I mean, I played games, I didn't actually write any games on the TRS-80, although I intended to. And a friend of mine who's now at Microsoft, after many years of losing touch with him, he actually wrote a Defender clone on the TRS-80... Mm. Uh, which never got published, I think, but uh, it was very good. But I started programming games after the Cherokee 80 when I got my BBC computer.
1: Okay. And did they have computer classes in in schools back then, or was this completely
4: um, extracurricular? They actually did, um, and in my school, I was the one that started the computer class. So okay. I, I was, you know, one of my first of my uh, group into computers, and actually, I did have one of the first computers in the UK because mine was imported from America before they were selling them like the year before they were selling them in the UK so I was pretty early into computers and I could already program before the other people that I knew at school so I convinced the school to start a computer class and then obviously I knew more than the teacher so the teacher (laughs) would consult with me on the answers to questions and I would help people with their homework and I got to sit at the back of the class and play Space Invaders during the lessons. Fantastic. And, and I still got a grade A in the exam, even though I did no work, because it was, you know, it was all common sense to me.
1: Similar experiences, except I started uh, photography and print shop, so that was not the same right. type of thing. <laughs> but I, I know <laughs> what you mean about getting flying by with grades uh, on uh, smarts instead of uh, book studying. Hey, uh, yeah. so that's how you got into programming. Uh, now we're nice. the same age, which is great. Albeit I'm am older,
4: but yeah, those two months <laughs> uh, are a, a big deal. Basically.
1: They are, they are. I'd like to know about your first gaming experiences: uh, standalones, consoles, arcade memories, things like that.
4: My group of friends and I every Friday night would meet at the Crystal Rooms in Soho, which is still is there actually today, but not in the same form. It was the local arcade although it wasn't so local, it was in the centre of London, and none of us lived in the centre of London, so it was, it was like an hour journey to get to our arcade, but we would do that every Friday night without fail. We'd meet there, play every game there was, and then go to dinner, and then go to a movie, and, and then go home. So that, that we did that without fail, so we were into arcade games from a very early age, and um, even before I was in the industry, we used to crash the arcade shows, like Jammer, uh, was a, a hmm. coin op show sure. that, that came to London, and um, there were some other ones, and we would crash all of those shows and see all the arcade games, play them all for free before they came out. you know it was a fun time
1: arcades in England were they full of black lights and disco music blasting, or what was what was the scene of <laughs> arcades there
4: uh, I think they 've ended up that way now um, back then, I think they were just the, they were lit and kind of serenaded by the sound of their own music. Oh, so, okay. I, think, I think the arcades back then, particularly this one, that, you know, all the machines were turned up on full volume, and so th- really the only music was the music from the arcade machines. There wasn't much in the way of background music or lights or anything, but now I think that there's actually not that many arcade machines anymore, and I think they're mostly jackpot machines, you know, slots oh, sure. and so on now. Sure, sure. So, I, th- I think that the the day of arcades with pure games have gone well, I haven't seen any apart from in Japan for a long time. Right
1: on. And yeah, most of them are dancing and playing uh, instruments and not a lot of joystick stuff. Happened.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the, when I used to play games it was before Dance Dance Revolution, so sure. you know, nowadays if you go to a go to an arcade, there are a lot of dance machines with it playing a lot of music. What do you
1: think had a big impact on you? Do you remember a particular machine that you wasted a lot of quarters in or
4: Oh yeah, I, I mean all the, you know, Defender, uh, Marble Madness, Asteroids, you know, Joust, um, mm. Star Wars, obviously, that was one of my favorite coin ops. Some of the Sega machines, Outrun, Afterburner, they took a lot of my time. Sinistar was one of my favorites. Run, run, coward. Yeah, you know. good stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had a lot of people involved with Sinistar, so uh, on on the show. So really, yeah, I'm very very happy about that.
4: I'm um, still friends with R.J. Michael. He was he was on Sinistar.
1: Okay, that's one person we haven't touched base with yet. Oh,
4: you got to hook up with R.J. He's very cool.
1: Okay, I'll tell Kyle. He he gets uh, everything organized. Yeah. You mentioned Star Wars. Is that the Vector Star Wars? Where you? Yes, the ve- that was okay.
4: one of my favorite coin ops, and obviously that was a, a big influence on.
1: Me. Great, we'll, we'll get into that. So, you started Argonaut Software according to Wikipedia in 82, is that right?
4: Yeah, that's right. Uh, when I was 16 years old, actually, a lot of this isn't on Wikipedia because obviously I didn't <laughs> right. write Wikipedia. Right. <laughs> but uh, the reason I started the company was um, uh, it's not well known, but I was a hacker in my youth before okay. I was 16. In some of the early hacking books, they did refer to me as an ex-hacker. But I actually stopped hacking when I hit 16, so I stayed the right side of the law when I was of an age where I might have got in trouble for it. In my early youth, I was was online on my TRS-80 very early uh, and on my BBC computer, and um, I was hacking as everyone was at the time. One of the companies I hacked into was the first email provider in England, uh, which is called Telecom Gold. And that was the only email system that anyone used in England at the time. It was run by British Telecom. I had figured out how to hack into their system, and then I'd written them a report on how to plug the city holes so that other people couldn't hack in the the way I did. And they actually paid me for that report. And the reason why I started Argonaut Software was because um, I didn't want it to look like I was some 15-year-old guy writing a security report. So I wanted to pretend I was working for this company that had done the security report. And so I started Argonaut when I was 16 years old, and my first job, which wasn't very much money, but, it you know, it's 500 pounds when you're uh, 15, 16 years old, sure. is, 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 is good pocket money. So I, I wanted it to look like it was a bigger, more important company, and I was just a junior employee of that company.
1: Oh, I see. Uh,
4: and the reason it's called Argonauts is because my name... With initials was J. San, as in J. San and the Argonauts. So, <laughs> uh, so that was a little pun, and you know, th- never really got mentioned after that. But uh, that was the thinking behind it. Wow,
1: that's fantastic! Yeah, yeah. See, we're so. Then
4: after that, I I continued doing security for a while, and I developed some copy protection systems that were in use with some of the early video games, hmm. uh, particularly the ones made by Acorn. So I effectively became you know, poacher turned keeper, and I was, you know, in the security business for a year or two. And then I wanted to write my own computer games, and then that, and then I did Starglider.
1: Yeah, let's spend a little time on Starglider. You mentioned uh, being influenced by the Star Wars uh, Vector game. And taking a look back on uh, Starglider was very interesting to me, because I haven't played it, you know, in years and years. So it has, like, it uh, has a raster a dashboard, which creates a play field in the middle which i don't know what the technical term is for but it's uh i call it a postage stamp so you have less real estate to be moving uh objects around and the graphics uh, look vector now is that true vectors in there or how, yes okay. it was
4: stock star- so the story behind it was i was very influenced by the star wars coin-op and i loved it and i even bought one for my home and i actually played it a lot and um I was negotiating with Atari at the time to get the rights to do it for the home, and I really wanted to do it and then all of a sudden they broke off discussion with me and said "No we don't want to do it yeah so at that point, instead of building a Star Wars coin op, I wanted to do something that was similar but in my eyes better, uh, certainly different, but using similar graphics technology so I, I Played around a lot with vector graphics and I figured out how to do it and I figured I had to do it really fast on a not very powerful computers. And I designed some math technology that could multiply numbers very quickly and divide numbers very quickly, which you needed to do to do 3D math. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, one of the first things I did was sold my math routines to Sublogic, which is the company that did Microsoft Flight Simulator. Oh, okay. And, and they bought the, because Anyone that does 3D games, and even 3D fight simulators, they will have the same problem, which is how to do 3D math quickly on a very um, low-end CPU. And I had figured out a way of doing that very efficiently. So even before I used it in my own games, I sold it to other people to use in their games. So so there was my 3D math in some other people's products. I see. That wasn't the first time that I did that, as you'll, as you'll hear, as we go on further. But I was building this game called Starglider. I actually had bought a Mac, a a classic Mac, Mm -hmm. to learn how to program a 68,000 assembly. Uh, Actually, no, I had a QL before then. Uh, So I bought the Mac, and I used that as a development system. Uh, This is before the Amiga and the Atari ST computers came out. Okay. When the Amiga was announced, I went to the first developer conference, when it was still codenamed the Lorraine, And then the Atari ST came out. So I I had Star Glider running on both of those computers very, very early, like literally before they came out. And as you probably remember, I made a disc so that the game was sold so that the Atari and the Amiga versions were on the same disc. And that was considered, you know, kind of cool. Sure. But actually it had the wrong effect uh, for me. uh, Mm -hmm. Because um, originally I did it because I thought that if the retailers only needed to stop one version, they would stock more because they didn't need to divide up their stock into Atari and Amiga versions. So I thought it would help me increase sales and reduce the burden of stock complexity for the retailers. Mm. Uh, it had the opposite effect, unfortunately, because they, they realized that they didn't need to stock two sets of copies. They just needed to stock one set of copies. Gotcha. And um, so, no, it didn't work the way I planned. <laughs> so my, my technology solution to the problem didn't solve the right problem.
1: It Starglider, when did that come out? I mean, around how old were they? It was
4: um, mid-ish 80s. Okay, that's right. That's I right. think I, I'm a bit hazy on the '80s, but I think it was '86 or '87, something like that. So you were still a, a young
1: fella. You're still, uh, oh yeah, right yeah. in the early '20s. There. Uh, yeah. This is where we'll probably jump around a little bit. When you look at Starglider now. Uh, like a YouTube video, or if you actually go back and play it, and you flash forward and see Star Fox, you can see the foundation for playing star fox uh, yes. really in, in fact, in this, we, this.
4: absolutely, and we 've skipped a lot, but that 's okay. I skipped straight to Starglider, I had done one or two other things before Starglider, but Starglider was you know the big one for me the the entree into into computer games, so yes, w- uh, when we first started working with Nintendo, we built. A star glider running on the NES, on the 8-bit NES, okay. called Nest Glider. And we showed it to Nintendo. We had done it purely with reverse engineering. We'd, we'd, you know, we'd figured out how to program their machine. We'd figured out how to do vector graphics on a bitmap machine. You know We'd, mm-hmm. we'd done all sorts of very clever stuff. And then we showed it to them, and, and they were blown away. And they did a big deal with us where they wanted three or four games from us. But they didn't want them in their exact form. They wanted us to work with Miyamoto-san in Nintendo's headquarters in Kyoto. Wow. And they wanted to match our technology and our kind of 3D games experience with their creativity and character design and their game design experience, and they wanted to marry the two teams together. So we actually had some of our people full-time in Kyoto inside uh, Nintendo's office working directly for Miyamoto-san. And I would regularly fly back and forth every month, holding classes with Nintendo, teaching them how to do 3D games, Hmm. and uh, working closely with Miyamoto-san and Izushi san and a bunch of other Nintendo excellent people. And so we had a very close relationship with Nintendo in the early days. Wow. Did you spearhead the Super FX chip? Yes, it was was my idea, and it came out of a conversation where, uh, having programmed our 3D game on the NES, and then we reprogrammed it in a week or two on this SNES when they gave it to us uh, before it came out Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they were impressed but also disappointed that it wasn't significantly better than the NES and we tell them well you know you haven't built a machine designed to do 3D and had you done that it would have been much better so we said well we could do that And I was completely bullshitting, because we'd never designed any hardware before, and they wouldn't even have a clue how to do it. But we did know 3D technology, and we were really good programmers. So we had an idea how to do it. But I told Nintendo that we would do it for them, if they funded it. And they did fund it. And I hired very smart people to lead the team. And we built the Super FX chip for them. So it was 100% our design. In fact, we codenamed it the Mario chip. Mm-hmm. which stood for Mathematical Argonaut Rotation I.O. Chip, Input output Chip. I see. Uh, and they were the ones that called it the Super FX chip. We actually called it the Mario chip.
1: I gotcha, gotcha. Well, I have, I have a shirt with uh, the Super FX chip on it for Star Fox, <laughs> of course.
4: I mean, they were good memories um, because, you know, Nintendo, we had a massive advantage working with Nintendo because they knew games, they knew marketing They knew how to, you know, be very creative. We knew technology. We knew 3D graphics. We knew a bit of hardware, you know. So we were very complementary, and we worked together extremely well. So for a few years, the relationship was excellent.
1: And I don't want to get into uh, get too far off topic. I definitely want to go back and, and touch on some of the uh, other titles that you you worked on. But I did find it interesting that uh, at the time I was a Nintendo rep around that same time when <laughs> I had to go out and spread propaganda about the two CD add ons that Nintendo was going to release that they had in the works. Uh, one was under negotiation with uh, Philips, and the other one was uh, the Sony PlayStation. And then you know they they bailed out of both of those. But you were actually working on that 3D chip technology or that 3D technology with...
4: That's right. I mean, when when we designed the Super FX chip, originally it was intended to go inside the American Super Nintendo. So we had designed it before the Super NES came out, and Nintendo wanted to put it inside. But because it would have added, like, $5 to the cost, they decided to put it inside the cartridges instead and make people buy it in the game instead of in the system. And then when they had the... when they were doing the original PlayStation or the original whatever it was add-on, it was going to be inside that. And, um...
1: Ah, I see.
4: It could have been, and, you know, we had had designed it to be able to work that way. And it didn't just do 3D graphics as well. The Super FX chip also um, could do things that the SNES couldn't do but should have been able to do like rotate and scale sprites.
1: Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm.
4: And so Yoshi's Island... Uh, one of my favourite games oh. was actually designed around what the Super FX chip could do for it as well. So it wasn't just for 3D graphics; it was for general graphics. Because the
1: Super Nintendo, as a system, could only scale and rotate backgrounds, right? Before that. yes, that's right. Yes, okay. it, in
4: F-Zero style, it could only exactly it could only scroll and rotate one image, uh, which was used like in F-Zero. It couldn't scale and rotate individual sprites and have them all on screen at the same time, which which with the Super FX chip we could do. We not just scale and rotate individual sprites, but we could have an unlimited number of sprites on the screen, whereas uh, Nintendo's hardware traditionally could only have like eight or some multiple of eight sprites um, on the screen. And it was, it was very oh, limited gotcha. doing it in hardware, whereas we'd done it uh, with graphic software instead.
1: Right on, right on.
4: And the, I mean, the Super FX chip was actually one of the world's first risk microprocessors RISC, and it was for, for several years it was the best-selling risk processor until the ARM CPU became standard in GSM cell phones and then sold gazillions of of CPUs. And now the ARM is the world's best-selling CPU by a huge margin. But there were a few years when the SuperFX came out when it was when when it was way up there.
1: Wow, that all that all makes sense. It all ties together. I don't ask questions I know the answer to, so I'm always uh, surprised <laughs> <laughs> at what I find well, out. Uh,
4: there's a lot of this background story that isn't really published, or if it is, it's kind of in obscure places. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, let's talk about well, what, what do you think was uh, important
1: points in your life, uh, periods of your life that uh, you want to share?
4: I think getting into video games is very important. I think um, being, you know, I had this fascination with 3D graphics, which for many years I was one of the few people in the world doing it, and then all of a sudden... Every game is 3D now, so sure. I was kind of like one of the early guys doing it. I don't know if I was the pioneer, but I was certainly one of a very small handful of people doing 3D games very early. At the time when it became ubiquitous and it became extremely competitive, was the time that I finished with computer games and moved into gaming, which is uh, um, poker and casino games and the like. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. And that's where you're at now, I guess. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm a tech entrepreneur now, so I do a whole bunch of things. I'm okay. involved with multiple companies, but, you know, my my baby that's a follow-on to Argonaut, is called PKR, and it's a, an online poker company.
1: But are you also involved in Origin 8?
4: Yes, yes. Origin 8 is a, an iPhone games company, and I am involved with that. I
1: love uh, Robot I- Rampage.
4: Oh, great. Yeah, that, wow. was,
1: that was at the top of the charts there for a while in the States here, and uh, that's when I picked it up, and I really, really... I, you know, I have it for the iPad, so it looks beautiful. It has everything that a good iOS game needs. It's simple, yet uh, challenging, and uh, it looks great and plays great.
4: Thank you. There were uh, quite a few games we did that, you know, should have done better, really. I mean, uh, um, unfortunately, we didn't make Fruit Ninja... <laughs> which we had, but yeah. we, we did do the game that they ripped off or were heavily oh. influenced by. You know, we were the people that invented that kind of slash mechanic, and we did that in one of Origin 8's first games. It was used to very good effect in Fruit Ninja, but we definitely did it first. Well, and what
1: game was that? Is it was a Monster Kill? Uh, it was okay, well, I have to pick that up and uh, yeah, and-
4: I think Fruit Ninja is a much better game. Monstica was the first with that dynamic.
1: Well, you Um, had a company called Monsters. Monster
4: something. I have, yeah. The company used to be called Just Had Monsters. Oh, there it was. It was a division of Argonaut. When Argonaut hit the wall, I helped them buy themselves out, and uh, it became Ninja Theory. Uh, And it's it's doing pretty well. Uh, You know, it's it's had a few very cool games, and it's got a few more very cool ones coming up, Mm -hmm. including the prequel to Devil May Cry, which is um, on the horizon. Oh,
1: fantastic. But uh, let's talk about some of the titles that you were involved with that I recognize that other, uh, okay. other of our listeners might recognize, and you were involved actually with a lot of franchises now. Is that because of the parent companies that you were doing business with, like Mindscape? I know that you did the Days of Thunder, and you did a... Yeah, uh,
4: well, I think some of those were... There was a time when the only games you could sign up deals for were games of other people's properties. Uh, and some of the games we signed up were other people's games. You know, we started with Afterburner, mm. um, the, the coin-op. We were one of the few people that could do it. In fact, I personally wrote, I don't know if you remember the coin-op, the balls at the beginning that spin around in 3D. Sure, of course, and, and, yeah. And change, change shapes and morph into different shapes. And then you blow uh, up. I wrote that bit of the code. Okay. Uh, that, was, that was my only contribution. I didn't write any of the game. Um, but I wrote the 3D balls, so that that was fun for me. So we did after Burno, we did um, the Mindscape Days of Thunder. We did Harry Potter one and two for Electronic Arts. So a uh, Catwoman, unfortunately, we did that too. Um, oh, you so, blew my uh, we, big! Uh, you blew my big gimmick. <laughs> Sorry, that's okay. <laughs> um, we did Alien Resurrection. That was a, a great uh, game. So yeah, we've we've done our fair share of licenses. Obviously. We preferred doing original, you know, our own original creations, but there isn't always a market for that. And you have to have the right IP, and you have to be at the right place at the right time. You have to find a publisher that has a lot of money to spend on marketing a property, doesn't mind marketing someone else's property, and really likes what you've done. So it is actually very hard to get publishers to sign up original IP that has been developed by a game developer. And it's much easier to just sign up and do someone else's property uh, and make a, an original game of their of their IP.
1: Sure, sure. Well, one game that uh, definitely uh, left an impact on me and and a lot of people's wallets in the states here was Race Driving.
4: Yeah, that <laughs> was that was um, very cool. That yeah, that was that was an amazing achievement. of What we'd done in such a limited platform to do beautiful 3D, you know, almost as good as the Queen Up, or, or so we believed. But no, it was it was, um, it was amazing that that we were able to achieve that, and we we really enjoyed that. That was a very important title for us. Was that the first game with instant
1: replay, Dina? You know? uh, I have no idea, to no. be honest.
4: We did do a number of firsts, but that isn't one that I recall. I mean, it's entirely possible that it was, but we did we obviously had some of the first three D games. We had. The first 3D texture mapping in a game, that was in Star Fox. We had that the, the, the boss at the end with the, the rotating cube. That was sure. the first texture mapping ever used in any computer game on any platform. And we did the first 3D surround sound in a game. That was a game called King Arthur's World. So we, yeah. we literally reverse-engineered how Dolby did their surrounding coding, and we faked it so that it came out in surround sound if you had a, if you had a Dolby system at home. We loved innovating, and we loved being the first to do this or the first to do that. I don't remember whether we were the first to do instant replay. Oh, we, we definitely had the first. We did a fighting, a 3D fight game called FX Fighter, and hmm. we had head-to-head over the internet, or even or direct, you know, modem to modem. We had so we had the first remote fighting game hmm. where you could play each other and not be in the same room. Uh, so yeah, we, we we loved innovating.
1: What are some of the other tech that you sold to? bigger companies just off the top of your head we
4: we, um we invented a 3d technology called Brenda, b-r-e-n-d-e-r and that was used by a number of game companies and also was used by microsoft at the time it was licensed to quite a lot of games companies um and a number of games were built with it some that we found out about some that we didn't find out about you know they don't Mm. we had a license where we could just license it to them and they could do what they wanted with it and not tell us, and sometimes we found out, and sometimes we got our name on the box, and sometimes we didn't. Gotcha. Uh, so a whole bunch of games were developed with that technology. A similar technology to that was also built... I mean, there were three 3D technologies that, that came out of England. Brenda was one. We think it was the most games-centric game one. There was one called RenderMorphix, and there was one called RenderWare. And oh. morphix was bought by Microsoft and became DirectX, and beca- direct, became Direct3D. became Direct Oh, um, and in fact, I had an awful phone call from a senior executive at Microsoft, which was very bullish, and it it said, we're going to buy one of you three, either Brenda, BrendaWare or Rendamorphic, and the other two are going to go out of business. And that was what the guy from Microsoft said. Wow. Um, luckily, we weren't reliant on selling 3D technology, and we were actually a games company first mm-hmm. and a technology company you know second or in parallel so when microsoft gave away direct 3d and effectively took away the market for us at the time in selling 3d technology we obviously had our games uh, to rely on um, the other company had to do different things and actually they went into games after that okay but at least you know all, all three companies they they were very competitive and that made all of the products better yeah i think that the the seminal um Time for me was actually signing up Nintendo. Was blowing them away with our technology, mm. them showing us how much they wanted us. They paid us very handsomely for it. We worked very closely with them, but that was that was a great time because we were really appreciated and we did a lot of good work for them, and mm. they made some good money and we made some money. That was a very important time for us, and we grew the company significantly from like you know twelve people to a hundred people almost overnight uh, mm-hmm. off the back of that work. Another important one for us, Croc, uh, was it was the first 3D platform game. It was a big hit for us, sold millions of copies, and due to the deal that we had with Fox, um, we actually did very well out of it. You know, we, it was our own IP, and Croc and Croc Two made us um, a very handsome profit, which was great. And we also did similarly well with Harry Potter, but we didn't own the IP for that one. But we did, you know, we were given a very difficult IP. And the other platforms, you know, the PlayStation 2 version uh, and so on, were, were going to be very high-end, and we had to compete with those. And we did an amazing job on the PlayStation 1 with that IP, and we you know, probably did a better game than they had on the PlayStation 2, or at least a competitive game as them. And so we were on PS1, which sold really well, and you know, so we sold millions of copies of that game. Uh, it wasn't just that it was a fantastic IP, an incredibly popular IP, but we also did a really good job with it some of the good people from Argonaut have gone on to do good things in their life after Argonaut, obviously um, you know uh, Rocksteady Studios, I'm sure you've heard of, they did mm-hmm. the, um, the Batman game Arkham Asylum, well that was one of our teams at Argonaut uh, so Jamie and Sefton were two of our senior managers and they are the two guys that run that, uh, and in no uncertain terms they learned a lot from Argonaut and in fact I think they're still using part of Argonaut's technology in, in that game or something they did in, in their previous game to that the spirit of Argonaut lives on in in mm. many different companies.
1: Definitely, uh, Star Fox. I talk about it on many, many We Talk Games. That after I played that for the first time, I had dreams about flying around like that for <laughs> weeks. It just uh, it really left an Thank impression. You. Yeah, it really well, left I, an impression. I
4: loved that game, and obviously, I love Star Glider, the forerunner mm-hmm. to it. And I loved all of Miyamoto's games. So you know, the, my favorite game of all time is still. Super Mario World, uh, you know, number four. It was it was the game that I I played solidly, nonstop, no other game for a whole month before it came out, actually. So I, I may have been one of the first. I, I may have been the first person in the world to finish it because I was probably the first person in the world to have a copy of it. Um, gotcha. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. is a huge hero of mine. Just saying, it's been a pleasure. You have definitely
1: influenced a lot of games that I think we've all touched. So thank you very much for taking the time out and being on We Talk Games.
4: And thank you, too. And all the best, um, my older friend. <laughs> okay, bye now. Take care.
1: Just saying. Wow, what a great, what a fun interview. I, that's just so much fun for me to do an interview like that. All right, Keith. Let's bring on uh, John, Johnny Capcom, and Kavon Cubic, and find out what we all been playing, and then the council will happen as well. Open it up. And it's Garthi, go! John. Hey. Hey, how's how it going? going? All right, let me bring Kyle in. Let's see. How do I do this? Wait a minute. Is that... Uh-oh. Whoops. Let's... Okay, let's... there he is. Get in the back. <laughs> Kyle, I thought I was bringing you on. Yeah, All right. okay. All right, fellas. So I, I thought to kick off Season 3... Two episodes in, we'd finally go back to having a just an open forum the entire show, except for the three parts that we did before the open forum part of the show. So, okay. what have you been playing lately? Playing <laughs> on a telephone? Turn down your listener radios. What have you been playing on your phones? No, in the games. <laughs>
5: Uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, because
1: Kyle and I have been playing the same type of things, so yes, yeah. let's hear some different things.
5: <laughs> okay, well, basically, uh, I did the illegal thing with the iPod, you know where you, you break it out of a prison? Yes. oh Yeah, well, it's not illegal, actually. It's it's 100% legal. But uh, It is. It's iPod. just frowned upon. Yeah, I broke it out of prison. Uh, tonight, there's going to be a jailbreak, filling and all that good stuff. mm mm-hmm. Basically, I kind of goofed around, and I was like, "I'm going to figure out to see what I can put on this." So I put MAME on it just for the fun, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I, f- I, I solved a mystery, and it was a mystery I kind of brought up on a past episode where I was like, "Does anyone know of a, a, a like a snooker game, or as you call it, Wiggly, <laughs> a snooker game, yeah, snooker. Uh, a snooker or a pool game, where basically there's a there's like strippers in us." And there's you know like uh, girls taking their clothes off when you put the balls in. Yeah. Mm. Which sounds way worse now that I just said it out of context. But anyway, I figured it out. It's it's a game called Pocket Girl. Oh, wow, why wouldn't it be? Yeah, basically that's exactly what it is, and I was kind of I was amazed. Uh, that's it seems like the Japanese publisher they like to make all the the porno games with the P. Which is handy. I mean it would have been handier if they had called the porno pool because then I would be able to figure it out pretty quick, you know. <laughs> but uh yeah, Pocket Curl, I started to play that. It's a terrible, terrible pool simulator. <laughs> it's not it's nowhere near as good as like Jimmy White's world Will and snooker on the Amiga or say, I don't know, Lunar Pool, you know. Yeah. Lunar yeah. pool. But it does have the anime nipples in it.
1: So. Okay. Well, that's you know. always important. Well, I, uh, Stinky was just playing a game by Playmark called uh, Big Twin. And that is like a, uh, you know, a block dropping, well, ball dropping game. Another ball ball game where you put balls in. and But that even shows down there on the hoo-hoo areas. Nude hoo-hoos. I mean, you know, things... 16-bit glory, or... No, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. But 16, 1995 type of yeah. game. yeah, Weird. You don't know who made that Snooker's, did you? Oh, I didn't catch the name. Probably Japan. <laughs> Japan. <it says> Japan <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They put out a lot of games, Japan.
5: Hideki told you on that.
1: Is that right?
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. All right, well, well, that's good. Now, you know, I, I jail-broked my first-gen iPod Touch, and I unbroke it real quick and lost so many of my my game-saves-position things, uh, unfortunately, because a lot of stuff doesn't get restored when you restore. Right. So ever since then, I, I sort of didn't do it. It was kind of buggy back then. I don't know how it is now.
5: That's okay. It's like, um... I just kind of put some other weird stuff on there. Like, uh, I noticed there was a Game Boy emulator, so I just thought, see if that worked. Yep. The companies out there, they don't have a lot to worry about, because unless you like playing beatbox versions of, of your games, right. you know, your Nintendo games, uh, yeah, nobody's in trouble, because the emulation... Well, the video emulation is fine. The sound on the Game Boy emulator is terrible. I mean, the games themselves look On there because it's able to emulate that pea green screen pretty well, you know. You don't. It's easy to use more or less, but the only problem is the button layout. Well, it does actually emulate the gray body Mm -hmm. with the kind of dark pink buttons and the black D pad, but they're not animated. So when you press them, it doesn't look like they're being pressed. Gotcha. And I didn't realize how much that annoyed me until (laughs) I played with it. Like you know, I was like, "Go down," but. The, and yeah, then played, you
1: realize you're playing Mega Man and he can't duck because he has no knees.
5: Yeah, right? yeah. But I I played uh, Super Mario Land, the six golden coins on there. Mm. Oh. Okay. And I uh, deleted it 24 hours later. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I actually own a copy of that game anyway. Okay. but uh, It's still the great Mario game, but it's just... I don't know, if you want to play that game on your iPod with controls that aren't as good and crappier sound, then go. <laughs> you know? But... Uh, You know, it's still kind of neat to see that these things do run okay, you know?
1: Yeah. The big deal back when the iPad first came out was that you were going to be able to break both of your iPod and your iPad and then play a Super Nintendo emulator on your iPad, controlling it with your iPod. But that's just a lot of effort to have reset the next time a, a, a software update comes out, you know?
5: Right. It kind of defeats the purpose of having a portable emulator as well. That's
1: true. That's true. You
5: know, uh, you go on the train, I guess, and you can <laughs> prop it up.
1: Yeah. And you're not even holding your iPad, and then it's like balancing on your knees. And that's always good to see someone's iPad go sliding under the under your feet all yeah. the way to just, the front of the bus, you know.
5: Just go home.
1: Yeah. Go home <laughs> yeah. and play on the television. All right, well, speaking of the iOS, John, I don't know if you picked this up yet, but I thought you'd be first in line standing outside the iTunes store until they opened <laughs> up. Uh, the Batman. Batman came to the uh, iOS, and I know this works on uh, the, the iPhone and the iPad as well, although I deleted it from my iPod right away because who needs to take up all that space with a game I only really want to play on my iPad. So this is set up like, uh, what do you call Game Boy Batman legend? No. <laughs> it's set up like the uh, Turbo Graphics version of Batman Pac-Man with a Batarang.
3: Oh, even better. <laughs> uh,
1: no, no, I don't know what. Yeah, Infinity Blade. Uh, okay. Play mechanics you do the swiping across, you do the the different quick time events, but Good choice
3: for the device?
1: Yeah, you know, it it really works for games like this, although I'm almost tired of the Infinity Blade play mechanics on this game. <laughs> It's like, okay, I I like it for Infinity Blade and Infinity Blade 2. I'm sure I'm going to be delighted once that goes on a super secret weekend special or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know if if I'm ready for that outside of that game. Although, if you like the Batman, you you sort of have to get this. You, You can't consider yourself a bat freak unless you get this version as well. And, and it looks great. It looks really good. I'm not sure if it's, it is as polished and shiny as Infinity Blade. They've tried to add some different things. Like, there's one part where you throw a Batarang, and then you use a tilt control to steer the Batarang down an alley and through uh, different you know, <laughs> obstacles and things like that. Just like when Batman would throw a real Batarang, you can remote control it.
3: Visually, is it yeah. like um, the Arkham City, or...? Uh, Is it that same style, or is it something different? You know, I I guess you
1: would say yes, but uh, in fact, yes, it is, because they show the Joker, and he looks exactly like they modeled it on the Joker from Arkham City. So I guess yes. I was just going to say it looks like Infinity Blade with Batman (laughs) in a city. You know, know, they they really pushed it to try to look as smooth as they they could, Uh, but I don't think it looks quite as smooth as, as the extent that they went through to make zen uh zen zen infinity zen blade look so great
5: they should have just called it batman infinity okay there you go
1: <laughs> yeah there you go and then you can unlock infinity himself in there yeah i don't know what his
5: name. I, the, the, the jim carrey riddler because oh. infinity forever <laughs> right you know
1: yep infinity and robin yep. which i have an addendum i apologize to everyone that i've been telling that i hate all the batman movies just before this show i made it about halfway through uh, batman and robin and i gotta say that's probably the greatest batman movie ever made since the 1966 version of batman what's your favorite part of it? uh probably the opening putting on their rubber underwears and, uh, you know, the, the the stand-ins for Clooney. And right from the go, Arnold Schwarzenegger is uh, credited higher than actually Batman. Yeah. It goes Schwarzenegger-Clooney. So there you, know you go.
3: You've got to love a movie like that.
5: But you know why? Why because is that? Because at the time, Schwarzenegger was cooler than ba- than George Clooney, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> he was, was that cooler? one of
3: those horrible puns from the movie? Yeah, was well, yeah, the
5: chill. Yeah, I'm just saying, okay? The, uh, the executives at Warner... Dave Clooney, the cold so- shoulder film. <laughs> I see I what I did
0: you were not saying. know
1: there was. Hey, what's Superman's dog's name? Uh, crypto? Margot Kidder. <laughs> See, I, th- I, thought, I thought I'd do all these time-relevant uh, jokes since you're doing the great shtick there on Mr. Freeze. That's good stuff. All right. Uh, anyway, the I- Batman. Yeah, the Batman game. So, you know what? I mean, it's Infinity Blade and you're Batman. You're punching people. The only thing is, now, I don't know. Did you guys play this at all? No. I'm not sure that. Maybe it was just my fingers. I don't know. But it didn't seem to register a lot of my, my hits.
3: Well, you do have those sausage length fingers.
1: Well I I they have they're, they're a bit more calloused but I don't have this trouble with other other titles
5: The game so. comes with a warning that says not to be played by Andre the Giant and Wake <laughs> <laughs>
1: Another big thing to further alienate even more of our listeners, I mean, we talk about the iPad, we talk about the uh, Game.com, we talk about uh, systems like <laughs> yeah. this. Yes, we always do. Every episode. Oh, okay. Every episode. We talk about the CDI uh, you know, Nintendo connection with Hotel yeah. Mario and the, and the Zeldas. Yeah. yeah, Zelda series. Those are good. Yeah, I'm sorry, I like Hotel Mario. It controls like book, but everything on that system did, and it's probably the best game that came out for it, except for the game that i'm in which i can't remember the name of so back to the alienating more listeners uh kyle and i both proud owners of the 60 dollar icade that's right so you shove your ipad i guess you could put an ipod in there (laughs) (laughs) you you can actually (laughs) prop it up with a band-aid yeah that'd be that'd so we got the iCades by Ion, and Ion's a big up-and-comer. If you like chintzy things that can do stuff, then really there's nothing else that does. You know what I mean? Yeah,
3: I don't know if it's, I mean, there's an Atari version of this that actually looks a lot cheaper online. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like a Bluetooth joystick that you slide your eye. The first thing we got to say is it's not a docking station. No, no. It looks like it's a docking station where you actually plug the iPad into it. Which sort of just sits in this plastic extrusion, and then uh, it's linked by uh, Bluetooth, so you got to put batteries in the joystick. Yeah. But what I will say about the joystick is... Here, let, let's see if we can hear it. Can you hear that? We can hear. And this? Yeah, we hear. And, hear so the spring-loaded joystick and buttons really sell me on the device, because... Both of you have, have seen this in the arcades. They have the multi-cade machines, mm-hmm. and they have like an analog joystick in there, and then you try to play something like a Gallagher or a Miss Pac-Man, and <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, you're, you're used to a four-way joystick, and now you have like a, I don't know, 18 or 32-way joystick, and it just doesn't work. It's not the same control and tactile. Uh, the, it just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. The kinetics of it don't feel right, whereas this... For me, at least, feels very much like an older arcade machine, and I like that. I like hearing the clicks. I like hearing the uh, the chirps back and forth with the springs because that's what I recognize as an arcade game. So for me, it doesn't feel cheap in that respect. It is cheap in the respect that it isn't a docking station. It does require batteries, and it's essentially just a Bluetooth joystick surrounded in MDF.
1: No, I'm I'm saying that Ion is is known for their uh, inexpensive versions of devices that tie into new technology like the first thing that they made was a record player that had a usb yes. cord sticking out of it then they made a cassette player they made a vhs player right, um right. now they're making a, a piano that you put your ipad in and it teaches you how to play piano with lighted right. keys
3: that is very uh, i got that for somebody oh, for did the you? holidays yeah um i got that for my little sister because she seems to be musically inclined mm-hmm. and uh that does feel very cheap actually okay All i right. was actually disappointed how that keyboard felt
1: some of the turntables are getting good, and you know, the the, the best part of, of those turntables, to go completely off topic, is that they're line outs, so you no longer need a ground cable, and I'm sure <laughs> all of our listeners know that when you used to have a record player, you had to put a ground cable on it, so you didn't get feedback, uh, but... That's, that is the case. So even if you don't have a USB and you just want to hear records going through your regular stereo, it's a good buy. Yes, so the, the iCade, you're right, it's, it's MDF. So it was lighter than I thought it would be. Yes. But the joystick, as you mentioned, was a lot higher quality than I thought that would be. Like you, too, finding out it had no dock, that was, that was very interesting And in that it was a Bluetooth uh, controller. Basically, it just emulates a keyboard. Right. Um, now, both you and I saw what the problems here were. Well, first of all, I was disappointed. I downloaded a bunch of titles that I knew were compatible with it. And of course, the Atari uh, collection—they they, they boasted that worked. <laughs> What's so funny?
3: That whole collection is kind of a disappointment. I like the opinion.
1: collection, right, but it well, did it did need better control. Now, yeah. here's the problem with that: is that I was like, "Well, okay, so you have to go in and you have to turn everything to portrait mode because." Right this this thing fits inside the case. You lift the lid of it, you put your iPad in there, and then now it's got to be vertical in right. the
3: portrait. I didn't a, know
1: you could turn it yeah. horizontal.
3: Right, there's a groove in front of the joystick, and nothing on the, well, I, the way I got my box was, it was a box, you open up this brown box, and there's the IK, you put it together. There was real no instructions or anything like that. But if you were to look at it online, you don't see the landscape way to put your ipad on this device but you don't there is see a, it
1: anywhere you don't no, see there, it in the instructions you don't see it on their website
3: I, and here's my theory on it is that there is a groove there and it does fit nicely so you can play the landscape games which mm-hmm. is great because there are a few bluetooth compatible games out there oh yeah uh, really uh, yeah. quite a few yeah. uh but you know i i had the same struggle with, with that you did but then i realized you could fit it in the groove but it doesn't I don't think it's as safe as when it's in that little <laughs> phony or faux dock, right? So I don't think they want to propagate that because they want people saying, "Oh, your device destroyed my yeah, iPad." Fell. Yeah,
1: yeah, because yeah,
3: irresponsibleness just sort of- <laughs> is your fault. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, because yeah, it's not in the it's not in the housing. It's right in front of the housing, sort of rests on that. It, it works very well in there. But if you if you like are a nut, you know, and go back and forth like a crazy person, then you're yes. gonna you're gonna knock it, it fall
3: out. Yeah.
1: But Space Inversion 2 HD I really recommend that. That's a, that's a pretty cool game. And and uh, this company makes a lot of games that are um, compatible with uh, with that device. What were they called? Um Silver Line Arts. They make a lot of titles that are compatible with with the iCade. But what I noticed immediately when I started playing the Atari games was I was cycling through all the arcade games and you have Moon Moon Blaster You have Lunar Lander, you have um, Missile Command, you have Millipede, you have Centipede, you have all these games, and you realize none of these games had a joystick in the arcade. (laughs) They (laughs) were all either push buttons, roll a ball, or... (laughs) double tank stick battle zone you know what i mean none of them used a joystick and that's uh that's that's what ion is pushing as the main title for in fact they say free atari collection on the box even and you know that's
5: her home ports
1: (laughs) (laughs) well it's it's the arcade but the problem even free it's it's yeah you 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 (laughs) get pong you know what i mean you get the free pong that's what they mean (laughs)
3: And pong. It's there free you go. <laughs> download the store of which you'll buy more arcade. games. Exactly, like Atari games. Yeah.
1: Free for fifteen dollars. And um, I also
3: I've got a comment on the fact that the lack of support from some people who came up with you know in the the era of the arcades like Namco. Mm-hmm. There's not a miss Pac-Man game that supports Bluetooth. That's the saddest thing. That's ridiculous, you know, or a or, or Dig Dug. These games, it, it should be a no-brainer.
1: Yeah, Konami, but, Namco, they don't support the Bluetooth uh, controller, and that's a crime, and you cry,
3: actually. I do want to recommend a few games, though. Okay, you they are do. are very good. Veloci Spider, it's a very cool game. It's got a great art style. It's sort of that uh thirty-two bit arcade era that you'd find like a Neo Geo machine. But the game itself is like a cross between uh Space Invaders ninety five and uh Satan's Hollow. Oh okay. So it's got the goofiness of the, the Space Invaders, but it's got some of the mechanics of Satan's Hollow where you know you're trying to protect your eggs. And these things will scoop down and try to take your eggs away, and you got to shoot them to to make sure that they don't take your velociraptor eggs away. It's kind of hard to describe like everything going on, but you're a velociraptor, which is half spider, half velociraptor, and you have a, um, like, a like a gun on your back, Uh-oh. and you're shooting up at enemies, a la Space Invaders. Okay. Um, but like Satan's Hall, they'll swoop down and try to grab your eggs, and then you got to stop them. And if you lose all, I believe three or four eggs, you're out. And it's perfect. It's it's an arcade title, and it feels great in the arcade with the joystick and the buttons. The controls are perfect. You don't need the arcade to play that game. Obviously, none of these games you do, but that's right. for me. That seems like something they should be t- like. They should be touting that title because it just feels so right on the device. Uh, another great game is um, Super Drill Panic, which is a little bit like Mr. Driller meets uh, Splunker. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Star Dash is pretty good. That's another one of those um, throwbacks to the Game Boy era of platforming. It controls well. And um, Hungry Master is another game... The Hungry Master is a lot like the title games you'd find in the mid 90s so it's like really cutesy graphics and uh, but, but cool effects cool screen effects and basically you're um, using a wand to lasso around enemies and turn them into food and then you deliver the food to different houses and all of these games that I've just listed all have very familiar art styles so you'll look at it and you would be like oh that looks like it'd be like a Neo Geo game or that looks like it'd be a title game or that looks like it'd be a Capcom game and they all have a, a, a very authentic authentic arcade feel and those games really work well with this device especially if you know that you can do portrait as well as landscape on it because right. a couple of titles you do have to do uh, the landscape version
1: sure another one that people might have played is super mega worm so that works as well yeah
3: i was going to download that looks very good that's, I that's a it.
1: really fun game and i played that a lot before i got the the uh, IK and it works very well in both of them and you can get a free Super Mega Worm versus Santa. I don't know (laughs) if that's still out but uh, that's a good one as well. And uh, for shooter fans I think that John would enjoy the Endborn X. If you like cotton, it's sort of like cotton. Actually it's more like Magical Chase uh, with a larger main character and it's you know a little anime girl and she's a robot type in a robot outfit. So instead of in a witch outfit. Those are kind of cool. I, I also know Muffin Night is supported, and I know Stinky likes that game. Mm. That is uh, one of the gimmicks that came out. That, what do you think overall? What's what's
3: the price what, what overall? Price I think th- I think sixty dollars is the sweet spot for this device. And I told myself there's a little bit of uh, the gift of the magi happening because uh, I've talked about this on the show. When I was younger, we had a centipede cabinet and a um, asteroids cabinet in my basement, and me and my dad would play. Uh, centipede a lot, because the asteroid cabinet was a little... uh, (laughs) Wait, (laughs) sorry.
5: Why don't you just say the asteroid's cabinet was a bit of a... Oh
3: my God. (laughs) (laughs) So the asteroid cabinet was a little messed up, but we played centipede a lot, and um, he sold those off to actually get a tennis bracelet for my mom, which I still give him crap for today. I see. Uh, But... First, I, I always saw the device, and I'm like, "This, this has got to be real." Even when it wasn't, it was a April Fool's joke, and I'm like, "They've got to mm-hmm. make this." And then when they finally did, the price point was just—it was too much money. At first, it was over a hundred bucks, and then it was very close to that. And I said to myself, "If it was ever ever under sixty." I would definitely grab this device. And then when it fell under 30 for Black Friday, uh, Think Geek, I was like, I'm going to buy my dad this for Christmas. It's going to be great. And at $30, bucks, i will buy myself one because that's that 60 price point. And then what happened was when I was confirming uh, with my mom about what I was getting him, she said, well, that's great because we got you that and he bought one for himself. <laughs> So now we had four of these things. Oh, my gosh. So two got returned. Okay. <laughs> so we kept ours. But um, I think $60 is, is a, uh, a good price point for this device. I, I think anything over 60 bucks, I, I don't think it warrants it, to be honest.
1: And also, uh, Kyle, you, you know we both own these. Forget-me-not is also yes. compatible. As well as uh, the Mittner ones, the Mittner
3: all of Jeff Mittner's games are a blast. So they're very like psychedelic and fun, and they harken back to the uh, the age of the Atari and Coleco, but like with just millions of more colors. And they're a lot of fun on this device as well. Yes, but I think sixty bucks. I mean, would you agree? Sixty bucks is pretty pretty much that sweet spot for this. Yeah, thing? that's a really I really good price. They bring it back down to sixty because I see it's back at that eighty mark in some places. Sixty, I think, will get it out there. So, more people are uh, you know, have access to it, and that way developers will be more inclined to add that bluetooth capability and that's that 's a win win for everybody
1: right sticking with the the gimmick theme, in which you know i don 't know if these are gimmicks or extensions or whatever. this is an extension lately i 've been playing my pinball, and that 's a more kinetic feeling i 've also been playing my iPad. Uh, and now with the IK, that gives me more interaction with my titles, uh, more stimuli, I guess. And a game that I broke out not too long ago to try to get back into uh, console gaming, get try to wean into that and warm me up to the, the concept of that again. I broke out my Time Crisis 4 for the PlayStation 3. Now this came out, I don't know how many years ago, 4? four four or five years ago you have to use the the justifier five or whatever version of justifier they're on now and you have to hang these dumbbells over your television there's these weighted rubber band leg weights that you hang over the front of your tv in the two corners so that this wired justifier can register on screen
3: just like the power glove (laughs)
1: <laughs> Except that it had a big frame. He had to put a frame around your television, yeah. PVC scaffolding. This just has these two weights that hang over. With uh, it's goofy, and anyway, it you know it works. It works really well, and you have that that gun, and it's not bad. Bright orange gun. You don't even feel like a goofball standing in your living room shooting at your television. But I heard about Time Crisis: Raising Storm, and Time Crisis: Raising Storm comes with Raising Storm. It comes with. um Time Crisis Four, and it comes with Dead Storm Pirates, which is a piratey version of shooting things around. Now, the the only thing without jumping real quick, the Dead Storm Pirate, the arcade version had a steer. Uh, what do you call a boat wheel, a ship wheel? You know, a wheel, a wooden wheel. Yeah, yeah. It had a wheel, <laughs> so you could steer the boat around. This one, you got to you wave your magic wand around in circles to avoid the Kraken's, uh, you know, arms and avoid some rocks and avoid other uh, ships and things like this. And then you shoot, and it, it's sort of like I guess they were trying to cash in on the Johnny Depp pirate movies because okay. some of it looks a little like that, but other parts it's not really that good as far as graphic goes so you don't know what they're trying to do maybe just try to make something that moves i don't know but the bosses are fantastic and other it's like a big mishmash of graphics on the dead storm pirates but i thought i really like this uh, time crisis four but i can't really play it for a long period of time you know it's an arcade game and and that genre of arcade game to me doesn't warrant sitting there for 45 minutes an hour an hour and a half holding this gun in my hand doing the same levels over and over and over again until I could beat it. Uh, it's right. more like you're in an arcade, you, you play Time Crisis 4 for a little while, maybe two trips through on a couple quarters a dollar or whatever, and then you go to another game. Now, it's the same thing in your living room except now it took you longer to set up these dumbbell leg weights than it does for you to play the game. Because these things you don't want to leave on your television. You already have enough goofy things with your we and your Connect. So I thought, well, this works with the Move. This is going to be great because I have a Move and I don't use it and it costs me a lot of money. So now I'll be able to just take my magic wand and go bing, bing, bing. Yeah. Um, and when you buy... Raising Storm off of, like, uh, Amazon, it always shows it with the move precision shot precision shot <laughs> pre- <laughs> pre- mor- tree. Pre- yeah, precision shot tree. <laughs> uh, you get the... Be- so I thought, okay, I'm going to pick up this move precision shot tree, and guess what? <laughs>
3: the- no precision? precision the- <laughs> the- shot <laughs> It has
1: precision, but the games are... <sighs> I just, you know, when you when you spend money on a game like Backstage Assault or something, <laughs> and and you're like, oh my god, I should have just thrown sixty dollars out the window. <laughs> well, that's what happened here. I mean, Raising Storm, I think I got it for twenty bucks. It was on sale for twenty bucks for for a limited time. And this precision shot, a piece of plastic that you shove your light thing in. It was, it was cheap, too. It was, it was around $20. $20. But, mm. So there's $40 bucks altogether, and then I get this, and uh, it's just so sad. Here's the problem with the move. Every single damn game that I've bought for this move has yeah. said, okay, it's compatible with the magic wand and the little thumb thing. That's what this game says. It's compatible with the magic wand and the thumb thing. So I'm thinking, okay, your magic wand, you're going to shoot the gun. That's cool. It goes into my precision shot, and mm-hmm. then the magic wand goes into the like uh, the stock thing that you would hold at the front. That would just be like bullets or something. It goes into there, and then so I'll, I'm going to be able to duck with my what do they call the navigation controller? I'll be able to duck with that and shoot with the trigger. Well. That's not how it works at all. It was like reliving that seat game, that game that you go down a, a hill on a lawn chair, um, yeah. on an office chair. It was like reliving that again. That said that it was two-player, but the second player just pointed at objects on a screen, <coughs> and you know I tried to shoot them while you yeah. were in the chair. Uh, it was the same thing over again. The moving device can be used on its own, like a gun. You're moving the cursor around with the thumbstick. <coughs> you might as well just be using a controller, You know? And then you you use the magic wand to do both ducking with the top buttons Mm. uh, of your thumb and the squeezing the trigger. So if you try to point a magic wand, even if you have an imaginary magic wand, you try to point that at the screen like a gun. You will see that you immediately have wrist strain Mm. because that's not, a gun isn't shaped like a magic wand.
3: You need the peripherals. You need, like, the little plastic peripherals. Well,
1: what that's you? what I mean.
3: I got that precision shot, the precision?
1: And, and that's the problem. The precision shot, you ha- would have to put your other hand on top of the precision shot so that your thumb could hit the move button on top of the thing. There's no way... To do this without it being incredibly awkward, because the thumb navigation controller only works with the story mode of raising storm, and it w- it's what moves you around. Like, you can't use the trigger on the, the navigation controller to duck. That's what I thought you'd be able to do. Mm-hmm. You duck with that, so your left hand's out in front, you're ducking, and you're firing with the trigger. But right. that, because that's, that's how the, um, the Justifier 9 works. It works like that. And I thought this was going to work that way as well. Well, you're, it's not going to work like that. <laughs> that aside, none of the games work with both controllers like they show on the cover that's going to work with those. If you get the PlayStation Move Sharpshooter, that probably will work, but you could do you would have to do it with your right hand because there is a you have the trigger button up top and then right under the trigger itself that you would be using with your middle finger, that's where you could press the move button to duck. So you would have your trigger finger on the trigger, your middle finger under the trigger, ducking while you shoot and duck and shoot. And I think that will control pretty well. I don't have the sharpshooter, but that's sort of what you have to do in the 3D games that um, they uh, tout for using this this, uh, sharpshooter. But the original Sony Move shooting attachment,
5: that wouldn't work either. The thing is, like, Sony seems to have a history... Well, Namco actually have a history of producing good-looking peripherals, although... Not that I don't. I've seen all those move guns, and they all look kind of stupid because it's like a gun dressed up as a clown with that ball at the end. You know, it's
1: you notice how silly this is. Yeah, uh, seeing a glowing pink ball at the end of a gun.
5: But like the, do you remember the the, the original Time Crisis gun, the the gun con?
1: Yeah. It was called? Yep. Yep.
5: I mean that was it was. Oh, that's uh, what it
1: is. Gun con like eight uh, came yeah. with this. Yeah,
5: it's like a super exaggerated gun. The the gun con original that came with Trent Time Crisis was, mm-hmm. but like it had two big buttons on like the barrel, I guess. So you had to hold us like a caulking gun or something. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> uh, either that, or you could plug your. Yeah, and on one hand, you you could be there and you're like, oh, I'm like, Deckard from Blade Runner with this thing, but then you're just holding it like, you know, like you're afraid it's gonna hit you in the face. Uh, then you could also plug in your controller into the second port, and you could make your second player controller smell like foot.
1: Right, yeah, that's right. You would step on the, the other controller so it would be like the arcade version of the game. I forgot yeah. about that. That's hilarious. That's right. I, I can put up with that on these, on these Time Crisis games, even the, the wonky control, but here's the problem. On every single game, if you are holding down your move button, like your trigger, and you go off the screen, the cursor will stay attached to the edge of the screen, even though you're now pointing three feet to the right of your screen now when you move your move controller back towards the screen your cursor stays still that distance separated from it so now you're pointing to the edge of the right of the screen but the cursor's in the middle or even off to the left it doesn't know that the that the giant ball is pointing off screen it just sticks the cursor to the very edges of the screen now you may say well don't hold down the trigger and try to go off the edges of the screen well you don't normally try to do that it's when you're shooting things that are close to the edge and you don't realize that you're off the edge of the screen then you move back and now your your cursor is no longer calibrated you have to try to pause and recalibrate and that's this is just it's just completely not acceptable it says if no one beta tested this and it's i don't it's quite a disappointment it's i've been here before with my playstation 3 and here i am again so uh i know no one's going to buy this (laughs) Anyway, I'm probably the only one, but uh, I enjoy the more arcadey-feeling uh, games that I could get from my system, so I thought this would be perfect to wean me back in, and unfortunately it was a perfect disaster. But I did it did get me a, back into console gaming enough that I actually beat the first Batman, so I was happy about that.
5: Okay, well, I, is that the Batman on the, the turbo
1: <laughs> yes, I I made it up to the double pretzel level.
5: Oh, okay, yeah. and you get the key.
1: <laughs> I got the key.
5: And yeah. the cherries.
1: Right. I um, you know now I have to go back and play my and I mentioned it twice now I have to go back and play my my PC Engine Batman that was such a <laughs> I, I remember I couldn't wait to get it and you know here it was crater maze Batman the, the Genesis had all these you know Batman running around like a nut. And here I am, uh, Pac-Man in it up, with my Batman on the turbo.
5: The thing with the Batman, like, in most video games, is, like, he never really got done right, I guess, until, like, um, Arkham City came out, because there's not much of his character, I guess, involved in some of those early games. Right. You are know, just saying, he could be, you know, essentially, he's Bat-Hagger in a lot of games. Exactly. He's just going around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <that's> true. <laughs> Punching the crap out of things, and that, that's fine. It's as much as I love like Batman on the NES and Batman Returns for Super Nintendo. I think that's the only that was the one tiny detail missing.
1: But wait a minute, did you ever play Batman Forever in the arcade?
5: Uh, No, and I should have because I like Batman Forever.
1: It actually came out for the PS1 as well. Now I don't, I don't remember playing it on the PS1. It came out for the PlayStation One, Saturn, um, and uh, and uh, I think it came out for computer as well. But and in this the, Arc- the Mortal Kombat one, it, it you know it has the Mortal Kombat feel. They tried to go with, uh, and you of course you could be Robin uh, as well because uh, you know I I don't know why I think that <laughs> was Robin in Batman Forever.
5: Uh Yes. Oh, okay. Boy, it was Christopher okay. O'Donnell?
1: Okay. Okay. Very good. Wait. Batman Forever was on one with the Riddler, right? Yep. Okay. Two you fits. mentioned Jim Carrey. Okay, that's right. That's right. It sort of has that vibe, but then all of a sudden you're getting these power ups, and it it so harkens to the uh, WrestleMania. Uh, game that came out in the <laughs> arcade because hearts are flying out of people, but there's the, ba- the Batman symbols are flying out of people, and all of a sudden, Batman gets powered up, and he goes like Mleh! and he turns into like this uh, glowing... Cyclops man, and then he's flying through the air and shooting lightning bolts out of out of his body, and (laughs) and then another part he he becomes a little uh, like uh, tiny Mario. You know, he's he's this tiny little Batman going around the screen punching the. It's just all these wacky power ups. That uh, you you just scratch your head, why is Batman doing these things? I think you would love playing that game. It's really fun, but it, because it's just so not it's it's sort of like um, Batman and Robin the movie. It's just so not what what you would expect out of a, a a more modern Batman game I don't know more modern. I think it came out probably six years ago, so:
5: six years ago
1: yeah, I think not it out came forever. out forever: yeah, I think it came out in 96.
5: The '90s are a long time ago. Least, Wait,
1: this is years ago. oh, it probably can't. It's a more modern game that probably came out sixteen years ago. Okay, <laughs> sixteen years ago. Okay, yeah, you know, that's thought, modern for me.
5: I thought we were playing Quantum Leap, the real game. Here for a minute, yeah. you know. Yeah, I don't
1: know what's new. <laughs> I'm terrible. What else have you been playing lately? And I know that that you went from uh, Galway to Anaskarthy. Did you get any uh, gaming on the go happening there?
5: Uh, I did a little bit. Played a little bit of Zelda Link's Awakening. Uh, But that was just a warm-up because I brought my Wii back with me in my suitcase so I could play Zelda Skyward Sword. Oh,
1: great. That's good. We're going to have a little bit of coverage of this.
5: Yeah, I've only played like the first... Two hours of it, I think, because uh, I got it for Christmas. I, 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 you know the got it for the Xmas. Big thing. yeah. The big thing, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, the thing that they do with the Odin and Sleipnir. <laughs> yes. Um, I got that, and um, it's, it's great. It looks cool. It's kind of like half cel shaded in a weird way, you know. Okay. It doesn't have a polygon look. Okay. It's kind of like a Twilight Princess, but like with a more pastel-y kind of thing to it.
1: Alright, and the the characters aren't chibi or anything. Or are they? They're more like the the last Zelda, right?
5: Yeah, they're more like the last one. They're more kind of like. Link is kind of a teenager, so he's kind of tall and gangly. And uh, Zelda is kind of like skinny and tall. Everyone's kind of tall. Uh but um it's a it's a very bright game, whereas like Twilight Princess kinda had, you know, muted browns and mm-hmm. sepia tones and so this one's more of a kind of a very bright, kind of colorful, rainbow kind of looking game. It's it's really cool though. Um I just I got the I was lucky enough to get the version with the C D and the golden Wii remote Oh, okay. Uh, the CD is worth checking out on its own. Like, uh sadly, it's not available on iTunes or anything, but you can listen to it on like Shark and stuff. And it's uh, it's the greatest hit to sell the album, but it's done orchestrally and it's fantastic. And the, all the music in the game itself, done by the same orchestra. So for the first time, you get to hear like all those awesome little box opening jingles and stuff that you know Link gets to hear when he finds things. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, those are done like with a full orchestra this time, so it's really kind of badass. And, uh, the only real mechanic I interacted with was like the sword play. Obviously, you're using Wii Motion Plus, so it's a lot more accurate than, uh, Twilight Princess. And that's got advantages and disadvantages because with Twilight Princess, you could just be lazy and just start swinging your wrist and you'd win. Okay. You know, this you've kind of got to do it sideways, diagonal, mm-hmm. forward, up, down, you know, to get the proper strikes. But it really does kind of feel cool. And one of the most more important things is to you have to do like a skyward strike. So you have to hold the sword up in the air, to charge it, and then bring it down. Okay. So as long as you don't, you know, I mean, you know, close the card. Chandeliers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sit down, <laughs> right? But uh, you know, it's, it's still it's so cool, and the story is interesting, and there's a little bit a little bit of sexual tension going on between Zelda and Link this time, you know. Oh, interesting. And, well, he's uh, going Zelda- through the puberty. Yeah, yeah. It's, it it kind of makes you you're kind of sitting there going like, I want to see these two kids get it together at the end, you know. <laughs> and um, it was that X Day, you know, the X Men Day, mm-hmm. Professor, professor <laughs> Xavier's birthday, and um, I was very tired, and I was playing it into the night. And I finally got Link into his clothes, so he was green Link again, okay. and the music was swelling, and you could tell, like, you were going to fly, because you fly around on birds and stuff in this game. Cool. Companion birds, and they're kind of, they're fun to the control, because it's like, I'd imagine it's like what playing pilot, pilot wings for the Wii I Kind of like... Uh, you know, it's that kind of mechanic, so you're controlling with the up and the down with the remote and all, but uh, anyway, yeah, the music was swelling and I could tell that, you know, Link is in his gear and, you know, it's about to go down and I was just falling asleep <laughs> I was there going, I was like I'll goof it up, Zelda'll die <laughs> 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 so, but I'm looking forward to playing the whole way through it, I understand there's like 40 hours of gameplay and I'm home for a couple of days, so I hope I can squeeze it all in before I have to go back, you know
1: I still need to try to finish the last two uh the one for the the Spirit Tracks. I need to I need to start that one really. I haven't I barely uh, touched that one. I think I I also need to finish the one before Spirit Tracks for the Nintendo DS and then I also need to finish the last Wii one. I'm I'm at the end but I just don't I'm lost. I'm lost in that sky place.
5: Are yeah. you in the man hall? I don't know where I am.
1: I haven't played the well, game in think- 3 years. I don't know.
5: There's one thing where you get stuck in that sky castle, okay? okay, and it's infuriating, and you can't figure out where you're supposed to go. If you end up back in the main hall. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to hit one of the big stained glass windows with your hookshot, and then you get to go, you get to progress. But you will get stuck in the main hall.
1: Okay, and I'm writing that down because I don't listen to the playback, so I got to write that on paper.
5: <laughs> Professional. Yes. Uh, you should be playing that Spirit Tracks one though, because it's a Choo Choo Zelda. I
1: know. I was so you know hyped up for this. I'm still on that boat one. Still doing Ugh. the boat one. I got to finish that boat one.
5: Well, they're not connected.
1: No. They're, they're oh, not. I know. Where? Well, where does this one fall in the Zelda split timeline? You know, people map out. <laughs> these these yeah. Zelda worlds and and when does this game happen this is the last Zelda and this is the first one and then here we see that this goes to Zelda world a and this goes to Zelda world b
5: I forgot to bring it up and uh, the thing that's uh, really cool about this new Zelda is it's like Legend of Zelda prop cycle edition what? because yeah because you live in a town above the clouds okay so, you're in, like, a floating village above, you know, up in the sky, and I was just told, I was really reminded of the prop cycle, especially when you're flying around on your bird, you know?
1: All right. Anything else that you guys have been playing? Well, I've been playing uh, a little bit of
5: Elevator Action
1: Deluxe. Oh, great, because John and I, we both love Elevator Action.
5: Yes, indeed.
1: For great uh, game. Like
3: a
5: manga mullet
1: So this is, like, deluxe. This must be...
3: Yeah, Everything well, that's what I was a, thinking, because I, I saw this on there, and, and, like, I didn't hear anything about this game, but yeah. I saw that word deluxe, and, you know, that's a seal of quality, so, mm. um, and I'm like, you know what, I better demo it before I actually buy it, because I was going to thump down my money, because I was thinking, okay, Elevator Action Deluxe, this Can't must go wrong. be, like, yeah, this, this must be, like, a championship edition with the Pac-Man or the, uh, the Galaga that just came out, you know, or even the Space Invaders uh, Infinity Gene, something like this, right? They'll change it up. Uh, no, instead, it's much uh, akin to a bargain bin uh, Nintendo 64 title. Uh, uh-huh. Lousy music, lousy visuals, and elevator action happening, but all the charm uh, sucked out of it. Uh-huh. Uh, I do not recommend this game. So uh, well, don't get hoodwinked <laughs> into that deluxe title.
1: Uh-huh. Um, well, what does it shame. look like? What does it look like?
3: It looks like a bargain bin Nintendo 64 game. You know, it reminds me of, um, you remember all those Rampage games that came out for the Nintendo 64? I guess it came yeah. out for every console, but yeah. I, I equate them to the N64 because of how horrible they were. So it's polygons. You got your polygons uh, happening, and it's like three generations behind, which... Not really acceptable with downloadable games now because a lot of downloadable games look, you know, just as good as some console counterparts. They're just smaller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this is a smaller game. It just doesn't look very good. It's not really appealing. The character choices, as far as the visual, I was expecting, you know, your anime-looking Japanese character. Your your. Um it's die Hard. No, not Die Hard. That's oh, uh, your other favorite Christmas go-
1: movie, right? Yeah, it is my favorite Pokemon- Christmas movie.
3: Pokemon and Oki. Yeah, sure, that one. Um no, I'm thinking of uh, uh Fujiko. Yeah. Cyber City Edo. Cliffhanger. What's the name of the cliffhanger? Loop in the third. Loop in the third. All right, so I'm, <coughs> I'm expecting a uh, loop in the third uh a visual cuz it kind you know, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. There's a connection there with elevator action loop in the third is, as far as playing as the protagonist. It looks like a really lousy bargain bin title that was shelled out to some studio that was like alright, we're just going to reskin the original game and kind of not do it very well. The music's nothing to talk about. The visuals are really poor. Uh, the graphics again look like it's three generations behind. <laughs> just not a good looking game. Not a fun game. No no sort of um, new bells and whistles to draw you in. Which is a shame because I feel like this is the type of game, like Elevator Action is the type of game that could get that that CE, mm. you know, varnish over oh, it yeah, really make of it cool. pop. And, you know, you give it some extra multipliers and things like this, it'd be a game worth playing because the original certainly was worth playing, mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. was the sequel. Wasn't there two? There There's also two,
1: Elevator Action, Elevator Action 2, and then Elevator Action Returns. And then Returns okay. is the one that we love so much.
3: Well, this is elevator action. Forget about.
1: Yeah, that's sad. I talked about uh, Burger Time. Also, made a research, and I talked about that at the top of the show. It's just right. uh, they just ruined
3: it. It's
1: both, polygonal uh, as well, and just. Uh.
3: Yeah, both great arcade games that really with uh, I don't know Burger Time looked like they put a little more care into it. At least when I was hearing the hype about it with the visuals, no. Uh, No, I I mean,
1: it's impossible to see what's going on. The polygons are just so bad, and it's just there's no polish on it to make it Mm. anything distinguishable. I mean, original version of time was so hard by itself. This is almost impossible because you can't see what's going on.
3: Right. Well, like the buzz leading up to the game being released, I heard at least I heard about it, you know? Mm. But elevator action didn't hear anything about, which is really what rose the red flag for me to. To demo it before I buy it, not go for that knee jerk reaction. Right, right. Uh, another game I've been playing uh, on uh, PSN is uh, Sonic CD. Which oh, yeah, is, this uh, came out. Yeah, one of the better Sonic titles yeah. and uh, one of the ones that most people never really experienced. It has a whole time play about it where you can go to the future or past of any level by. I, I guess hitting 88 miles per hour. In fact, I think that is the achievement when you first do it. You hit the little spinner, either f- future or past, and then you build up enough speed and you, you go to the future past of that level. So the level design uh, changes a little bit. The enemies change change a little bit. And the, uh, the whole facade of that level changes between past and future. It's just a solid Sonic title. Uh, you got Metal Sonic in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty easy. You can fly through it uh, probably in one sitting, but I, I think it's, it's worth experiencing. And if it's something that you're longing for, you know, a good Sonic game, and this is something that has passed you by, I definitely would recommend this instead of uh, any of the other ones that have come out in the last few years. And it's also good
1: to see the Sega CD games come into the, to the yeah, home. Yeah, because there
5: conference.
3: were some good ones. They <laughs> weren't all Night Trap and Sewer Shark. <laughs> right. Corpse Killer, was that one of them?
1: That was one of
3: them. That's <laughs> it, yeah. That ever. The, you know, I, that's what I've been playing.
1: That's cool. As I mentioned at the top of the show as well, it's a sad passing of the Turbo going away and the Turbo CDs and never even making it to the PlayStation Network, and now we're getting the Sega CD, so it's sort of like a rebirth of sorts now that we're in the winter solstice as well. So it's the um, sun standing still for a while and now reborn again turbo cd handing off to the sega cd which didn't have as many colors or room my uh, question is space. what would
3: my question is what would be the afterbirth on the uh playstation network
1: uh i think it would be elevator action and and, and uh, burger, time. burger time yeah okay all right, guys. Well, today's uh, topic is is uh, a cop-out topic. No, it's one that Kyle came up with. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> no, it's not well, a cop-out. It's, now, so. it's, it's all seasonal, and, and we like to talk about uh, video game memories. We ask it of all of our uh, special guests on the show as well. And being that this is the start of our third season, one episode removed, it's nice to uh, do something annual and remember... Where we were annually at some time in our past have a fond memory of the Christmas season, the Hanukkah gifts, Kwanzaa presents.
3: So, of course, we're talking about our favorite Bible games. That's right. From uh, years past, and mine—I'll start. It's spiritual warfare for the uh, Nintendo. Mine is Bible stories
1: for the Xbox, the original Xbox. Okay, John.
5: Well, uh, the Book of Kells for the the paper. Uh, good. Great graphics, you know.
1: a, cr- a crossword puzzle from the Watchtower magazine.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: All right. So wh- what are some of your fond uh, holiday memories there, uh, Johnny Capcom? Well, uh, a certain land of Christmas, I think, Ireland.
5: A la- well, there's, a, you know, t- t- certain parts of it are certainly, you know, to do with Celtic mythology. Mm-hmm that were co-opted later for the Jesus thing. Sure. I remember getting, like, it was a historic day in Wales, which is where the other Celt people are from, when my friend finally got maim running right before we all went home for Christmas. And I think we didn't really care about our presents because we were like, ah, turtles. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And uh, we were playing, like, a. remember I came in and he was playing Well West Cowboys in Mool Mesa mm. uh, Great with, with these with these ASDFs and these QWERTYs and all, you know. Yeah. But it didn't matter. I mean that that Christmas we were all buying up, uh, you know, crappy GameStop emulator pads. Oh, okay. But, you know,
1: Did you, were matter. you able to configure them? Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's cool.
5: Was it press tab? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. You press tab and then press the button you wanted to correspond with.
5: Yeah, so I mean that was great. I mean, I, remember, I just remember being so excited there because it was just like it was like finding a historic relic or something. Because the two of us were terrible, we couldn't figure out how to run any emulator that wasn't just you know step one get the emulator on your system, step two open emulator. <laughs> it seemed like there was a little bit of configuration to go along with MAME, and this is back in the day, like so it's not like now like Now that the kids have their name on everything, you know, yep. back in the hard days of 2007 when you had to configure your own name. Cool thing though, it was like getting back to the games that we loved, you know, mm. right. this is before, well, it was before I owned like a, a modern system and before a lot of great like beat em ups and stuff were available for them through the, the download stores and stuff, you know? Right. So but there was really no other alternative except to uh, only play them one day at a time
1: any gifts any games gifted to you that you could recall
5: oh sure uh i remember i was on a boat coming back from wales again and uh next girlfriend gave me a nintendo 64 on the boat so i could play it while I was home for christmas and uh, oh, wow. that was great because uh, i just ran straight home and i was like hey everybody whatever i gotta go play zelda <laughs> okay so is that what you got with it yeah, yeah, I got Zelda and I think I picked up some wrestling games and so far as well. <laughs> but, but uh the WCW NWO Revenge yeah. I don't want forgetting revenge on. Yeah. They're revenging it, each other. Yeah, were, but you know, that was a lot of fun. Uh, I remember when I was uh a kid I got a Game Boy for Christmas.
3: Mm. That's one and of my I, memories too.
5: Yeah, I was in the, you know, like the Nativity play, the cosplay for the Jesus, <laughs> and, uh, and I was playing a bar, no, not a bartender, an innkeeper. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember my mom gave me the Game Boy, and I was like, <clears throat> I had to go up on the altar and uh, play this thing, but I forgot my lines because I was literally in the pews. Playing a bit of Tetris, you know, with the volume down, and then they called me up, and I remember I was just there, I was standing on the stage, and I pretty much had one line, and I, oh, sorry, and I messed it up because uh, I was thinking about getting back there, and you know, I stole the line of the girl standing next to me, and then she had to say my line, and that kind of screwed the whole thing up. That's great, you know. But I didn't care because I already got my price, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I pretty much that's pretty that's the one that kinda stands out the most. You know, there's other of course I mean every year, you know, you pick up even if you pick games for yourself, like, I remember buying yeah, What I'm
1: in sure. the world <laughs> Is somebody playing Luigi's Mansion? <laughs> 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 Hold
3: on a second. <laughs> Sorry, John.
5: Like, I was just saying I remember buying alien trilogy for the PlayStation ahead of that coming out as well. Ahead of me get the Playstation.
1: Now wait a minute. Wh- now, what's the story about the Playstation? I don't remember this.
5: What the this- <laughs> station 1. Yeah. What
1: about it? When you got it, you couldn't play it.
5: Oh yeah, cuz the, the power was gone. The electricity there was like a big storm that hit the country. Oh, okay. And basically, my entire street was without power, so I had to bring it down to my aunt's house to play it in <laughs> her attic essentially. <laughs> and uh which worked cuz I was playing Alien Trilogy, which is kind of a creepy oh, game.
1: Oh, yeah, so, that works. But Should've I remember been in the basement.
5: Th- we don't have basements in Ireland. Oh, you don't. Okay. No. So, I remember getting it and just, I'd sit there for weeks looking at the box going, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be <laughs> it, you know, I mean, look at, it, look at, there's all aliens and I'm going to pull the snot out of them and I did, I was so good. like it lived up to everything I wanted it to be.
1: Oh, good, good.
5: I also got Tekken 2 that year, so I was playing the Triangle Man fighting game and Oh was, man, yeah. you know, I li- actually did day I dug out my uh, big double disc box of Tekken 2. Gotta bring it back to Galway with me so I can play it again.
1: That was so amazing when that came out.
5: Yeah, yeah. I actually Tekken, yeah, that was a must have. I just opened the back of it and Tekken three is in there, so
1: Oh great. It's <laughs> <laughs> bonus.
5: Yeah.
1: yeah. Tekken three, I think, is when people started not really caring about Tekken. But yep. Tekken two was like the Mortal Kombat two, I think, the most popular.
5: Yeah, it was great. It was so much fun to play. And I, I remember unlocking all the characters, like going through them. It was amazing. Yeah, I was really obsessed with getting everybody. and I remember getting, like, Devil and Angel and Kuma and all. I just being, I don't know, it was a real feeling of achievement, you know?
1: Yeah. My memories uh, for, I I was thinking about what games we got for Christmas. And when I thought back of all my fond Christmas memories, if it took place before, like, last year, all the gifts, (laughs) the gaming gifts that I received were from me. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm the only. Real, I'm the only person that really Did you do a good job hiding
3: it from yourself.
1: <laughs> no, in fact, you know, I didn't. Even, I didn't wait till Christmas or anything. I just oh, I bought them.
3: You spoiled it. Well,
1: I worked for toy stores for quite a long time, right. and always worked with uh, video games. So I remember getting a Super Nintendo. I remember it being around winter. I know mm. that when I and Final Fantasy was one of the first games I played on my Super Nintendo. I guess it was either final Fantasy three or four i don 't recall which what they called it in America, I think three I just remember that and loving it and going to the moon and i just, I always talk about going to the moon in Final Fantasy. I just thought that was the most that was yeah. the, that was the biggest uh gaming twist i had I had stumbled upon uh, you know uh, until then you know that was that was like the It was the newest thing. I was like, I can't believe I'm on the moon. (laughs) I'm playing a fantasy game, and now I'm on the moon. I didn't expect that. Those things, uh, pretty much any system that came out, and they were really pushing for the Christmas holidays, I picked up, and guess I was playing around those times. Maybe Pong. Maybe we got Pong around Christmas when I was a little kid. And uh, I've often talked about the Pongs I had. I had Telstar and And another brand, one of them had uh the knobs and the other one had sliders, but both of them came with a light gun and uh had skeet. I remember the one game had jigly on it <laughs> i didn't know how to say high lie of course, so i didn't know what jig was, <laughs> and you know could i i think I figured it out uh, I guess it was like handball or something, but the light guns you could you know hold up to a light bulb and get a very high score so uh really though nothing else everything's been pretty much me getting the things for myself i think the wii i picked up the year that the wii came out i went to the nintendo store by myself i in new york <laughs> and i walked around the city blocks because this is well this is pretty good i know some people some avid listeners recall this but I was on a Nintendo mailing list and you know the Wii was a huge thing. They were out of stock everywhere and people, you know, it was the cabbage patch of the video game era. Right. Uh, well, I don't know, I guess Super Mario Two or three had that same type of, of mm-hmm. buzz. But I remember I got an email from the Nintendo store and say, Come for free coffee and, and Danishes and I was like, Wow, free coffee and Danishes, I am there. <laughs> All I need to do is buy this $30 bus ticket, yeah. and I'm going to get my free coffee in Danish. But, you know, I thought it would be kind of cool to go on a trip. And Was that your first time there? It was my first time there. They had just opened up, you know, not too long before then, maybe yeah. a, a half a year before. What would you think? Um, uh, well, when I got there, uh, it was a big, long line. Well, it was a long line. I, I got in pretty early in line because of the bus. And there was like a radio DJ there and everything else, and the store just got packed, and it's two floors, and I liked it, you know, I thought it was kind of cool, they had the the DS station, so I had my DS with me, I was able to uh, demo some, some titles. Right. And um, and then upstairs is more to plush and the things like this, yeah. uh, toys and games and stuff and T-shirts. So, I mean, I liked it, but it, it was kind of elbow to elbow. Mm. But they had Wiis, and they were like, now we have so many Wiis, and everybody's going to be able to go in, go and sing or fly. And I was like, well, I didn't really come to buy a Wii. I didn't expect there to be any Wiis here. I just... Honestly, you came for the coffee, Danish. I honestly went for that, and that was probably like (laughs) all it takes is a continental breakfast, and Wiggly's there. (laughs) And honestly, there like no one was having coffee in Danishes. I was like the only one. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the least important thing of that of that uh, that time. I said, Can well, I, I
3: picture you online. Everyone's <laughs> stoked about the way. you're
1: like, what kind of danishes do you think yeah. they have? They yeah. I couldn't wait. I could not wait for the danishes. And I got in. I, was, I called Chiz in line, I think. And I said, well, you know what? I, I mean, I have this credit card. And I didn't have anything spent on it. <clears throat> I said, well, I might as well pick one up. And uh, this was at a time I was sort of living off of eBay and podcasting. So I said, I might as well pick one up. If, if nothing else, I could sell it for twice the price on eBay. Right. So uh, I, I ended up picking one up, I picked up Excite Truck. And uh, Oof, you had yeah. a well. I liked Excite Truck. Yeah, that was like no, the only that was an Early title. Yeah, they don't yeah. make that anymore. They make like Excite uh, Bugs or something. Yes, some, some type yeah. of bug that turns into a truck. I picked that up, and what was the, the big game? I guess was.
5: It was Twilight Princess because it was that was supposed to come out on the GameCube as well. Yes. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was
1: it was Twilight Princess, and so I picked up those two and uh, an extra controller, I think. And the controllers were uh, hard to get too. So uh, I, I quickly picked up one of those. I think the Nunchuck was even harder to get or something. It's hard to recall. But you know, I picked those up, and you know that was really cool. And then uh, I, I guess it was before Thanksgiving that I was able to pick that up. And then I sat on it for, I guess, a month. And then at Thanksgiving, um, Chiz and I decided we were going to open it up and, and play it. And we had, a, we had a blast with the sports title and things like that. So Cool. What you got there, Kyle? You you were the one that thought up this uh, This was your request, so what do you got?
3: You know, I got a couple of holiday memories. I mean, one of my earliest ones was uh, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I got this rather late in its life, probably toward the end, if I remember correctly, because I was about five or six, and I think it had been out for quite a few years uh, since then. But it was the Atari uh, 7800, the one with the nice metal rainbow stripe across the top of it. Yeah. And uh, I got that with... You know, a handful of games, and uh, at the time, we had had an Atari 2600, and I remember... uh,
5: That was the beginning of your journey as a video game player, wasn't it?
3: Right, well, yeah, I also got Journey... I mean, that's that's
5: how I think (laughs) I acquired
3: uh, Journey too. was I I think uh, because of the economic strain, it was hey you know christmas time and look you can buy, for what we could spend on this nintendo we can buy out this entire shelf of games so that's how i think i got journey the escape and struggled through it and try to figure out what what exactly was going on right. um don't stop believing anyway uh so that was a uh that was one of the first uh, earliest video game memories I have but it, you know it's I was little so I, I don't have much more than that other than I remember getting it I remember jamming the 2600 cartridges into it I remember feeling like It was not the same thing as my friend up the road who had uh, Nintendo and my other friend who had a a Sega Master System at the time. Right, right. But eventually I did get my Nintendo. I believe I got that around like my birthday, though. Uh, But that was my earliest uh, memory. Next would probably be the original Game Boy, which I got these three titles with. I got um, Tetris, uh, which was packed in. I got the Castlevania adventure game, and I got Spy vs. Spy, which was a request for whatever reason. <laughs> Big fan of the comic. Yeah, not so much of that game. Although no. I played that game a lot. You know, I played I, I played that Castlevania game a lot. Uh, in retrospect, not really great games, but I enjoyed them because that's all I really had. Then later, I got the uh, the Super Mario Land. In fact, I might have got that that same year too. I got the Super Mario Land game. Uh, which was weird and interesting, and I didn't really like it. And now, in retrospect, I really appreciate that game. And down the road, I got other titles, too, like you 6 Golden Coins, which one of my favorite Mario games and other things. But, yeah, I got the Game Boy and, and those three or four games. And I remember, of them, enjoying uh, the Spy versus Spy game the most because, to me, it looked like it was a cartoon on this Game Boy. Right. You know, this, the, the Castlevania game did not look like Simon Belmont at all, mm-hmm. um, and it didn't feel like a Castlevania game, and the Mario game was just too weird for me to, like, comprehend. I was like, this isn't a Mario game. <laughs> I sound like the people now who complain about Mario <laughs> 2 when I was, like, six. I was like, this ain't a Mario game. <laughs> but now, I, I look back at that game, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. They did some interesting things. But yeah, the Spy versus Spy game, I'm like, this, this is like a, an animated feature on my Game Boy. This <laughs> is fantastic and I'm, I'm hiding bombs and I'm playing against the computer. How does he always know that I hid the bomb there? I don't know. <laughs> really cheap AI. But then, much later on, one of the best experiences I had for Christmas was when I got my Super Nintendo and we hooked it up to the, uh, the, the living room's entertainment system, which was hooked up to a hi-fi surround mm-hmm. sound system and The hearing the droplet, like in my mind, I can still hear those those droplets in the cave when you're in the donut island or whatever. In that surround sound was like such an experience that I had never experienced before, and it really stuck with me. And I love my Super Nintendo, and I got a a whole bunch of games with it. But the Super Mario World was fantastic, and I had got that. Uh, console the year it had came out, so I was with you know all of the hype where you were seeing those commercials and you saw Mario climb in the fence and then he punched the uh, the little swing gate and he'd be on the other side and you're like, how is he on the other side of that fence?
5: This is amazing. Yeah, you uh, uh, you of course uh, later provided your own soundtrack to Punch Out. Right? Yes,
3: yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, super uh, super Punch Out. Uh, I provided my own soundtrack by uh, cursing. The, uh, television constantly when uh mass muscle would spit at me ah oh, to this day, I probably haven't <laughs> talked about this on the show, but uh that's, I a, that's a different that 's more like uh you know the surround sound system with the Super Mario world was an experience oh, yeah. um, Mass muscle with super punch out was like an emotional scar in my shots. <laughs> But then I have I have a lot of memories actually later on recently of um having friends over for like New Year's or I used to host a holiday party. Mm. People would come over and we would play, you know, Mario Party 6, we would play Soul Calibur, we would play a lot of the uh the party games and things like that. And that I missed cuz I haven't done that in a couple of years and uh I was like looking at other retro games that would fill that niche. And uh, I think this year, when I have people over, I'm, uh, I'm going to play uh, Pac-Man Versus. Oh, okay. Uh, GameCube, because I was just doing some research, uh, some cool, kitschy type of games. Yeah. And uh, this looks like a really cool game. Uh, and I think uh, that's going to be this year's experience for me, Is trying to hook it up so, uh, we, you know, four-player action. Well, if you can't
1: get it, I, I'm pretty sure I might be able to send you mine. I have the connection cable. I have uh I, I the, the game the Game Boy Advance I can't send you. Uh no, I have my own. Okay, good. Yeah, I have a cable and I have the I have the game, but I'll have to dig it out. Oh that'd be great. I'll get back to you. but uh, yeah, no,
3: I had a lot of great great time uh, you know, celebrating either, you know, around the holiday time or even for New Year's playing uh I had a lot of fun playing uh what was it? Uh Nazi zombies. That was the first time with uh Call of Duty World at War that the Nazi zombie thing had happened. And we were playing that around the television, switching out. And the past couple of years, I kind of dropped off. But a lot of my uh, holiday memories involve video games, especially getting together with friends and just uh, playing multiplayer action, hooking up. I remember hooking up two televisions and two PlayStations and playing um, Command & Conquer which is not the best way to play Command & Conquer uh, uh-huh. on PlayStation. But I played it on the original PlayStation in two different rooms, and that was, that was a blast as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Well, you brought up a couple
1: good things. I, I did buy myself, I think the first console, well, I know, the first console I ever bought myself was when I worked at Kmart, and I bought myself the 5200, not knowing that the new next-gen systems were going to be coming out. Yeah. So that I remember that holiday season, just me and my mom sitting in a dark living room, and challenging myself with Miss Pac-Man, which was a pack-in. Challenging mm. myself with Kangaroo, which was the other only other game I bought. And challenging myself not to throw the double spindle controller uh, <coughs> through the television itself because <laughs> it was like some type of gear mechanism that they used for yeah. the fifty-two hundred controllers.
5: It was an analog. Thing, wasn't
1: it? it was analog, but it was wacky analog. I mean, I had analog controllers when I later would, bought the um, 2600 adapter uh, for the 52. You couldn't, like the 7800, you could put there, were the same size cartridges. The 5200 had these giant cartridges, yep. and then you had to buy an adapter to put in there. But uh, the only, (laughs) it wasn't really an adapter, it was a a 2600, and you even had to use 2600 controllers plugged into the adapter, you could not use your 5200 controllers, they didn't do anything. Boy, would you wanna. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's true, but I mean, that's how much of not an emulator it was. The only thing it did was power it and do a video out. I'm surprised you didn't have to put additional, uh, you know, RF connectors to the adapter that was the only two things it shared but uh, i bought these other uh, joysticks that were made by um, a company that made uh, radio control planes and i bought those as my uh, 2600 controllers and those were (laughs) just so much better though they were not analog well i mean the 5200 controllers were analog but they were on this gear mechanism that was just so wonky yeah and it, and it didn't recenter. It wasn't a recentering joystick, so you really weren't sure where you were, um, you know, in, in the movement. And then you also reminded me that about games that you played a lot and and didn't really uh, that weren't really the best games. When I bought my NES, I really didn't know what was hot. And I bought my NES kind of late, a long long time after other people. In fact, I bought a Master System before I bought the NES because I heard that it was um, better graphics and all this other business. And then when I bought my NES, I played, I guess, games that were kind of better, but... Two games that I played a whole lot of, uh, much more than I should have, were Predator and <laughs> Trojan, the Capcom wow. arcade game. Trojan.
5: Uh, Trojan's pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's okay, but I mean, it's when you think of any, yeah, it's a weird couple of games <laughs> yeah, to have. You don't think about Predator and Trojan as no. you know the big strong NES titles. They weren't system movers, so it, it was you know it's kind of weird. And I played those a lot. I mean, more than. I I actually, I mean, I I, I bought my NES with Rob the Robot and the Duck Hunt, uh, you know, of course. That's really why I bought that system to play with Rob the Robot uh, the one time that you play with him. You were fighting some
3: some schmicks. Then put them, uh, (laughs) yep.
1: Moving plastic discs. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you, you do that the one time, then you put them back on the shelf and. There he gets the dust, and then you lose the pencil sharpener. I think the pencil sharpener <laughs> is the one thing that you, you uh, people, most people don't have.
3: So, staying on a to- uh, topic with that, real quick. Yeah. You know the the twenty five T that's on sale at WeTalkGames Just click uh, Pro Gear. Right. Check that out. So I'm wearing this, and somebody actually they recognized the character, but it wasn't the the actual character. They recognized the cowboy from uh, what what like um, game was that? Now it was woman wild gunman. So yep. so on that shirt I drew a cowboy from wild gunman and he goes, "Hey, is that Gumshoe?" <laughs> and I'm like, of "All the games that you could associate on this t-shirt. No, it isn't the guy from Gumshoe, but how do you even know about Gumshoe?" It's I like bought I shoot Gumshoe. Gumshoe all the time. I you bought shot Gumshoe the balloons.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you shoot him to make him jump.
3: It's uh, funny that uh you know people have different experiences but evidently yeah he played more gumshoe than he did uh, super mario or zelda
1: <laughs> it's it, that that system had so many games at that time that you could do that you know you, you didn't really know and the magazines i mean they would give ratings for things but you didn't really have that understanding of what were the real hot titles yeah. at the toy store back then as you do now you know it wasn't it wasn't as cut and dry as call of duty 5 Active warfare now games, <laughs> you know. You know those are the hot for kids. Yeah, it's for kids.
5: Mm. Uh, the amount of kids I see with those, like uh the Call of Duty games and stuff, you know. And parents are buying them for him and stuff. I'm just like, you realize those games are horrifically violent. Not <laughs> oh, in the, yeah, you know, not in the. I'm shooting squares off people in the Resident Evil days, like you know. Right. I mean, like worse than that, like. You know, people are having their throats torn apart and stuff. And
3: But it's appropriately rated, and it's up to the, the parent to do the parenting, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, but I agree. That too too many kids are going access to uh, these type of titles that deal with, with subject matter that, I, you know, they don't really understand. And a video game shouldn't be teaching them uh, the ins and outs of uh, global terrorism. In my opinion, at least. I don't know. They call me conservative, but...
5: His kids growing up now, and they're like, no doubt, going, "Oh, it must have been really hard for Kennedy when he had to team up with Nixon and Castro to fight all those zombies." <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not really because their mutual it's not, differences. It's not a good yeah. place for accurate history, that's for sure. No. The History Channel is, you know, with the ghosts and the yeah, Andy the Cliffhole. ancient aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, but you know what? I just I just thought of it now, and it's so silly. It's the most recent uh, Christmas uh, get together right at, at our own trapdoor mansion here. A little fella, one of uh, Chizzy's Chizzy's nephews, came over, and I have the the big stand up arcade down in Sloppy Joe's, and it can also do Super Nintendo and NES. And you know, so here's all these arcade games that he has his choice of, and he wants to play super mario world on the on the super nintendo <laughs> initially he played uh, super mario brothers one and then he said you know he asked me if i had this other one so i had that and today they came back for a breakfast that we were putting on just for uh, his family and he made a beeline right into sloppy joes right to uh, super mario world Still resonates with ne- kids today. Yeah, you never know. You never know.
5: Yeah. Those games, I think, still look great because I mean, they're so cartoony looking that you know they don't yeah. age as quickly as other. You know.
1: And they were built for that system, you know. Right. Whereas the PlayStation was built to push around polygons that were right for that system, but not right for yeah. graphics that <laughs> look any good now. You know. Yeah. Well, those are some great memories, and uh, we hope that you will share some of your memories on wetalkgames.com, a social media networking site. Do hey, that. you know what? Uh, I just saw here Stick'Em, Stickem, which I used to have an intimate relationship with, and they like my shows. They're now allowing for you to log in with your social media login, and we've been doing that for, you know, years. two years, I think. years, Yeah, year years in a couple months. So we were we were groundbreaking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. We were, we're ra- that trail. We we were not uh, as late as stick'em. So go there, log in with Facebook, log in with Twitter, log in with your Xbox Live ID. I like to log in with my open ID. Your open ID will work as well, which yeah. whatever that is. Uh, you can probably log in with Friendster, I'm not sure. But my log my MySpace count MySpace? No we could have we could have opened it up to that but I said nay but we, we were ahead of that curve we were, so. I say the nay yeah. alright buddies well uh, thanks for sharing your memories with uh, with us and I'll talk to you next time when we talk games for our big co-op for kids we hope nice ok bye bye alright and that's it hey everybody stay tuned for a bobble bobble within the next few weeks uh, we'll talk about portable gaming uh one of our favorite about uh, potable gaming actually more like it and tune in next time when we talk games we'll be back to our normal format with our full crew of the video power magazine staff special thanks to Jez Sayin today and a big high five to all of our listeners, our extended family out there. Thank you for listening on behalf of myself, T.T. Schmootkins, Stinky the Game Master, Stink T.T.O., Kyle von Kubik, Johnny Capcom, and the entire Wet Gak Flip Flipley's family. We look forward to being in your earballs on the next We Talk Games. Bye, everybody.